Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey Internet, how's it going? It's Friday, <laughs> September 5th, 2019. You're listening to Waypoint Radio, episode 261. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, filling that. in for Austin Walker, uh, who is Kata, what on do you vacation. pay for? Figure it out. <laughs> Joining me this Friday is, you just heard him interrupting me, as per usual, Pat Epic. <laughs> hey, look. Look, Friday you know, pod. Rob, we gotta keep the Emmanuel Manhattanberg, what's up? Okay. I've, I've been here before and it hasn't been this rowdy. <laughs> Is this what's it's up? Bears Packers Day, baby? Let's go! <laughs> Woo! All right, Friday energy, I guess. <laughs> All right, Friday, it's Thursday. <laughs> Don't this- spoil it. Also joining us, <laughs> the listener doesn't know Daniel that. Riendo. Hi, hello. How you doing today? And we have Kato <laughs> watching the signals. And that's all you better fucking do. <laughs> no more of this back talk. Jesus wow. Christ. <laughs> Single black coffee energy hear from Kato. again. <laughs> so we do have to hear from Kato because we had kind of a weird Nintendo Direct uh, that we were oh, all shit. like staying late to watch. And somebody on Twitter uh, sort of mess- messaged me uh, this morning saying that it kind of felt like that that fake draft we did a few weeks ago where I like took over <laughs> Nintendo and recreated it as like a 90s PC gaming company. <laughs> That might like that might be the reality we live in now. They were paying attention. Like it's possible that draft episode like <laughs> rent the separation between dimensions, and we now live in the Rob Zachney Nintendo CEO universe. Yeah, it's like yeah, Jedi, Jedi, Jedi Outcast like is just the beginning. It's just like the first bleeding over of the dimension before it's hey. like, hey, Miyamoto is collaborating with the Splatoon team to make. <laughs> Quake for the Switch. <laughs> it's an exclusive. I love it. What what is Deadly Premonition? Why were people excited about it? <laughs> oh boy. Kato. <laughs> I'm no. sorry. That's fair. It's been no, it's been long enough. Have you that never was watched Xbox a Let's 360. Play? No. No, I would I would suggest you watch a Let's Play or you read GameCritics.com GC Danny's like in-depth <laughs> multi-part review slash walkthrough slash experiential. A baptism of that game because <laughs> I've only played like an hour of it just to like get my hands on it but most of my love for that game comes from just the bananas things that come out of it that people have appreciated it's not a and fun, loved. it's not a fun game to play um, <laughs> well jinky uh, that's why people are excited Kato so first thing first is the fun game hell no what look you gotta it is get a game, it is a game key, okay it's a game that uh, when it was originally unveiled, if I'm recalling correctly, um, the Twin Peaksness was so explicit that it was uh, a legal problem, oh. and they had to go oh. through and like 
move it away, like a few di- like yards away from uh, where it was to where it landed, which is probably like for the best. So the short version is like, I mean, obviously you're familiar with Swery, like the designer, like, um, oh, who did. okay. Yeah. Yeah. So this is what put him on the map. He was a game designer prior to this. Like he'd been sort of like toiling in obscurity, working on lots of different projects over the years. And then Deadly Premonition was his passion project. He is a Twin Peaks uh, fanatic. Um, And so that's like trying to make Twin Peaks the video game is essentially where he started with on Deadly Premonition. And so um, it's so it's a game that. Uh um, (laughs) Right. Right. Um, But it has such an interesting arc because the game is not fun to play. It has such horrendous (laughs) combat. Where it was the kind of thing where it was like played on easy, not because it has anything to do with your skill level, but because it's just the fastest way to get through the combat sections <laughs> and onto the parts that are really good, which are the story, the characters, the tone. Um, like if you've played his Connect game or seen any videos of like D3, um, yes. like it's, you know, it's in that same like veneer. Um, it's just like a little bit off in a way that is delightful. He just has a way of like painting characters that um, is, is going to feel very familiar if you are, you know, a David Lynch fan more generally, but specifically Twin Peaks. I mean, there's even like a log lady equivalent uh, in Deadly Premonition. Hell yeah. Um, like it's that that close. But the game's setup is that you're like running around a time, a world, it's an open world game uh, in which like things are happening in real time. So like you can go like door to door, running around this neighborhood, spy on people, find weird things. It's all like, the character study of it is just so much fun and specifically why it's so had such a strange journey to cult uh to becoming a cult classic is i'd say these days because there's such a wider variety of critics with interest and this is like part of the reason that like the state of sort of like games criticism like across like twitch youtube traditional outlets is i think in so much better balance is because there's a wider diversity of opinion when this game came out it was trashed it was just (laughs) look at this piece of shit that isn't worth even looking at in fact break the disc throw it out like it was just (laughs) absolutely just like look at this one of the like you know stereotypical like janky japanese video game that like isn't worth your time and over time it became this you know i'm sure there are articles that have charted exactly how it went from a to b but it gained a notoriety over time because of the endearingness of the characters of um the story of of the setting and sweary as like a public figure like he was a big part of that which is like sweary is just a delight to talk to to his social media presences um he is the drink king like just go search that hashtag i'm pretty sure he's wrote drink king like every friday for like the past like 10 years (laughs) um and probably most other days as well, based on uh, his habits. Um, and anyway, so this is all to say, it's the, a game very unlikely to have gotten a sequel. And so it's been, and that game came out on the Xbox 360. It's been re-released on everything since then to cash in on its cult classic cachet. But there was no sense that it was ever going to get a proper sequel. And lo and behold, in Nintendo Direct, Deadly Premonition 2, something, 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 something. Is coming sometime next year. It has a good subtitle. I just don't remember it off the top of my head. And the original um, is is also coming out on Switch. Yeah, Deadly Premonition yeah. Origins. Origins. No, it came out. It's out right oh, wait, now. It came um, out right. Right. It was one of those. Hey, it's out. Deadly yeah. Premonition Two. Yeah. A, uh, bless- a blessing in disguise. Patrick, I have yeah, a question. What about? Yeah, please hit. Uh, what do you want out of this? Like, does this have to be bad in order to be good? Uh, like, is that part of the character of the game now? 
No, because I think, well, that was always a struggle, right? Like I remember talking to Swery and I interviewed him a number of times over the years. There's a really great um, Giant Bomb interview I did with him, a postmortem on Deadly Premonition where he came into the office and me and Ryan Davis interviewed him. And there's just some wonderful video trickery. Like just, if you've never seen that video, it's one of my all-time favorite things. Like he brings it up to me every time I'm with him. He's like, that was a fun video. And I was like, that was a fun video, Swery. <laughs> um, but I always wondered, d- does he understand? Like it was always, it was hard to tell among the fandom, the cult, cultness of it. It's like cult classics sometimes are celebrated for their badness and like revel in it. And then it's hard to figure out how much are you enjoying what's there or are you enjoying the fact that it's, bad and i i think it deadly premonition started in you're enjoying it because it's bad and over time became at least for a lot of people and i'm one of those people it was like no i'm enjoying it for what it is like it just once you like realize what it's doing within the space that it's working in and especially once he he distanced from deadly premonition it was making other games and you know i know that the missing a game that came out last year people say is tremendous like an incredible story about like uh, uh, body dysmorphia and mm-hmm. like being uncomfortable in like the skin you were given and D3 which was a weird connect game but had like a bunch of goofy interesting characters <laughs> um, I think all you want from Deadly Premonition 2 is more Deadly Premonition and just by virtue of time distance lessons learned the, the me- as long as like the mechanical stuff is like a little bit better like I'd be gr- I'd be happy if it was like less combat more detective stuff like just emphasize the parts of the, the world exploration and I think that's where, you know, that's where the strength of Deadly Premonition is the strength of Swery as a creator. Um, and I think that's where, I think that's that, you know, I can't speak for the whole community, but I, that's what I would want from mm-hmm. the sequel is just like more time in the world, less time shooting weird enemies. But the trailer did have shooting weird enemies, so <laughs> it'll it'll be there at least. It would be cool, I think, if the combat was in some way com- just completely non-traditional, like the way they did D3 stuff, like t- stupid action sequences or something that just completely satirizes like the idea of combat in this game that would or make a quick time event just like cool just take the mechanics out of it just like make it flashy cutscenes. um yeah charm yeah yeah i hope they really double dime on like the the time element because like that was what was neat about deadly premonition was like you could just miss things um and so it was often a game that people recommended you play with a walkthrough because the amount of things you could miss, not that it wouldn't allow you to continue the story, but it's just the game was poor at communicating how much you really could miss by like not going in the right places at the right times. That it was often a game people sat there with a walkthrough open. It was like, okay, what should I go do next? Because it was so much less about, uh, you know, lots of games are like moment to moment skill stuff. And this was really like, you just want to experience <laughs> all of it and the most that you can. Um, and so hopefully Deadly Premonition 2 has has way more of that. I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. I <laughs> worst case scenario, you know, we got Deadly Premonition 2 and it wasn't good. I'd rather live in that world than like no attempt at all. <laughs> so also announced for that um was Return of the Oberdin uh for Switch, which immediately <laughs> made me I'll remember like, it. damn, I loved that game. Yeah. Like it was instantaneous where I was like, oh shit, I could totally play Oberdin again. Would be absolutely okay with that. It's so enough I information I that like I I don't remember those people's names anymore. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be like playing it new <laughs> all over again. No good. <laughs> uh, that game got weirdly overlooked, I think, because I don't know. I'd have to go look back like when it released and like what was around it. But I know oh, people. Were hot. Yeah, I feel like it got a lot of attention. Uh, 
I don't know. I, I I know that like I was not the only person that was like that game was really long, like from like longer than you would have expected for like a game uh, like that. And I know a lot of people put it on like, oh, okay, like I'll get Rob to it at the end of the year. His beard, by the way, for those of you not. <laughs> how long? How long did it take to beat it? Was that close to ten hours? Right. Uh, I can look that up exactly, actually, because it didn't feel long, but you might be right. Uh, I want to say it was like an eight-hour game. Um, I don't want to say it was longer than people thought, and so there were a lot of people, and I'm, I guess I'm speaking traditionally from like a critic circle as opposed to the mainstream audience, was like, oh, cool, I'll go get to that in December okay, when doing Game of the Year. Huh? Gotcha. <laughs> 11 hours. Yeah, that's yeah, that's long like enough four. that like it <laughs> – sure. I think, just, I think it slipped off a lot of people's – list because they didn't get back around to it and i know i'm one of those people that was like cool i want to check that out and i was like 11 hours Ooh, there's a lot coming out right now um i'll get back to it and i just never did so hopefully hopefully here more people will give it a chance speaking of boats uh if you like them switch has got them assassin's <laughs> creed rebel collection is coming out december 6th uh it's going to have a port of assassin's creed 4 black flag and okay. uh ac rogue which i like I have the to PSP take, game, right? No, Rogue game? was like Rogue. I want to say was maybe a PS. No, I, PS3. it's it was like the game where let's take the engine they made for three yeah. and make another game out of it that is uh, better. Uh, is kind of I think. Wait, Rogue? Yeah, I, I thought really Rogue was oh, a PSP. Th- here's why it was weird. Liberation? Here was why. No, 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 no. Liberation so here, was PSP. So this is why this one is strange. It didn't come out initially on next-gen platforms. It was released late cycle for 360 and PS3 because UPSoft wanted to maximize the the hardware window. And Mm -hmm. so this game eventually was released on everything else. But originally it was only on 360 and PS3 despite the fact that we were making the transition to um, the current generation. That's why that game was strange. Weird. Yeah. But like Assassin's Creed fans really liked that game. Um, of course, I'm probably remembering just probably one Stephen Totillo post, which is like, <laughs> like, like a couple times a year. He's like, damn, I really fell down this mediocre Ubisoft open world uh-huh. game rabbit hole. Yep. I'm like, damn, that sounds fucking awesome, Stephen. Let me give it a shot. <laughs> and then like flash forward 12 hours. I'm still in the prologue. And yeah. I'm like, I don't think this is me. I don't think I can live that life. Yeah, I, I read the I'm same post. I'm not in the post. big chair. I read the same post and I was like, I'm going to play this and like 10 hours into it. I was like, <laughs> what am I doing with my life? It's like, this is not worth it. <laughs> Actually, it probably wasn't 10 Sorry, hours. Steven. I think I finished it, but uh, it was still a bad choice. <laughs> Ubisoft, Ubisoft Sofia, Ubisoft Ukraine, Ubisoft Montreal, Ubisoft Singapore, and Ubisoft Milan made this one. Sure. <laughs> that last one is why it's art. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, also, speaking of burying the lead, uh, Overwatch is coming to Switch. Oh, yeah. Um, which I'm curious how that goes for a whole host of reasons, actually. Gyro controls. Huh. That's going to be sure a thing. Gyrational. <laughs> you know what? I mean, a lot of people got real good at Splatoon with gyro controls. Like, I can see some, some people, people swear might- by it. Yeah. As though they are be- they are better than the uh, traditional controls. I'm not one of those people, but I I know people have made the argument. I could under I yeah. could understand the like that be like being able to be more precise that way. Uh, I can never understand being good at it, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure people are. Which um, yeah, that'll be interesting. 
Speaking of gyro controls, you know, during loading screens on Fire Emblem, there's that little pixel. Uh, oh, I love to tilt the. I love who, to tilt the switch. Oh, I didn't realize it was me tilting it. I thought sometimes he just ran around. Wait, no, what? Yeah. Okay, so I'm playing on the pro controller, Whoa. so I don't have that immediate. Like I'm turning the screen, like rolling him back and forth, right. like a uh, like a, like a little baron. I'm playing handheld. Um, I never noticed. Yep. I yeah, couldn't no, tell. Dude, I was playing and. My partner's like, wait, why does sometimes uh, the little Byleth run to the right and why sometimes does he go to the left? And I'm like, I don't know. And that's just a mystery that no human could solve. <laughs> Ten <laughs> seconds later, she's like, it's the controller. It's where you're tilting the controller. And I was like, holy shit, I have a magic power. <laughs> and uh, totally remade the game for me. Oh, good. Uh, speaking I of taking games we love that get reinvented, uh, Patrick, how are you feeling about Divinity Original Sin 2 Definitive Edition? This can bring it back? Yeah, so I really liked Original Sin. Um, the story didn't do a lot for me, but the combat was tremendous. And everything I've heard about the sequel is that the combat is even better and the story is tremendous. And like it has been said in like no uncertain terms from like lots of people that have played it. Like it's one of their favorite RPGs of all time. Not just a good one, not just a great one, but like up there with like the very best Japanese Western, like whatever the case. And so this is all, but this was also a game that like I heard that and I was like, cool. I loved original sin. Let's go. And then I like messaged someone who reviewed it and they're like, yeah, it took me 85 hours. I was like, Ooh, <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> That's an interesting hour mark for a video game. Because uh-huh. um, I think that came out three years ago. I think it was in early access when Jessica was born. And yeah. uh, so I was like, well, I'll wait. Like, we, yeah, also, like, it's a we, it's uh, uh, Lyric, Lyric, I forget what the, the studios. Larian. They put their games out in early access, even their RPGs. It's like a very non-traditional way of developing that style of game. Um, but yeah, I was always holding out hope because... They had said in an interview, like, yeah, we would love to port our games to Switch at some point. But I always, like, thought that was, like, one of those... And this was, like, two years ago. Just, like, a random aside. It's like, why wouldn't I want free money? Like, of course you want free money. But then the more I thought about it, it's like, well, damn. Like, the Switch has, like, a really limited CPU. And this game is, like, physics out the wazoo. And that just seems like a th- something that would be tough for the Switch to figure out. Um, and so I haven't read any reports. The game, the, the, the Switch port came out yesterday. Um, I haven't, I, I meant to look up how, like any analysis of the port before we did this, but I didn't have a chance to, um, some, it, it could even be trash and it would be fine, I think. Cause it would at least let me experience the story. So, um, I'm really excited that that's on switch because I've, I've wanted to dig into that for some measure of time. And like switch is just such a wonderful platform for something like that to, to come to. And it, um, it's the second game on switch that has, uh, uh, steam save support. So you can, Play it on your PC, pick it up on your Switch, and it just pulls it down from uh, the cloud. I think Civ does that as well on Switch, but um, Original Sin 2 is the second game to do that. Um, Kato. Uh-huh. Tell me about the Cramorant. Uh, it's uh, a bird. It likes to eat fish, and if you spook it, it spits the fish at you. It's a, puff, a fucking perfect See, that's Pokemon. that's a good, wholesome Pokemon it's I can get behind. great like that, and wonderful Pokemon. Oh, it's just a <laughs> shitty, pissed-off seabird, yeah. and I felt a powerful affinity <laughs> there. Um, mm-hmm. And there's nothing, like, deeply upsetting or troubling about it. No, no, no. Unlike no. some other Pokemon I could name. Uh-oh. What? You mean... Um, 
the fucking haunted Mrs. Potts? Ghost tea? Yeah. The, 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 the undying spirit of Mrs. Potts. <laughs> Look, Chip uh, had a hard time pol- after that pol- movie, okay? Pol- <laughs> Jesus. Pol- Poltegeist? Poltegeist, I think? Am I saying that right? Poltegeist, let's see. I think so. Let's take a look, shall we? It's a ghost. But what? You drink, you, yeah. you can drink some of the ghosts. What? It's- I don't like that. Don't. <laughs> what? Don't. No, uh, but it's see, a ghost. Is it, but isn't the... Okay. Back up one second. Yeah. Okay. Oh God! So <laughs> if the Pokemon likes you, it will let you drink its tea. No. Uh-huh. Oh, it lives inside the teapot. Yeah. And its feet come out. Yeah. So what you're drinking is its feet. Its feet juice. <laughs> you're drinking its like pee and feet juice. <sighs> its body is made of tea, apparently. Yes, since what? its body is made of tea, you may even be able to have a taste. No! Be careful, too much, and you might not feel so well. Thank Wait, you, thank you, Nintendo black, of America, for the warning. Just, just like real good tea is notorious for making people feel. Just <laughs> have delicious tea, you feel immediately sick. Uh, and uh, like you've taken something unholy into your body. I just watched uh, Midsummer, so yeah, you know. It, it's this all it's sounds cute, good. though. Look at it. It's cute. It's got a cute face. I love it. I love all Pokemon. Wait, wait. Pokemon are great. <laughs> okay. Name origin. Poltegeist may be a combination of poltergeist and tea. Patudesu may be a combination of pot and death. And a pun on <laughs> patodesu, it's a teapot. Wow. That's, I got that one. Japan's the, got all the good all names the for the Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> That's some good shit. <laughs> pot and death. Pot death. <laughs> That's some good shit is what you're going to say when you start drinking yep. a goat. Mmm, <laughs> that's some good tea. Let's make some Pokemon guys kombucha. Excuse me? Is that tea? Oh. I think we established it wasn't tea. It is tea! Uh, I remember vividly that, that whole conversation fermented. and everyone said, we agree, Rob, you've made a uh, completely airtight argument for why that's not tea. Uh, so we don't need to discuss it again. Uh, but, Kato, you did make a comment yesterday that I thought was interesting, and uh, possibly by this point, we've got an article up on it that you can read, but you oh, mentioned yeah. that a lot of the new Pokemon that they're showcasing seem to... Like the rules governing them kind of run in contravention to longstanding Pokemon tradition. No. <laughs> no. That was about Smash. That was about Rob. Smash. That was a good effort. Kato, although, that although, although that's not un- nope. that is not Absolutely untrue. Not. That is not completely untrue of of Pokemon, but that was about Smash. So the um Sorry man. I was, saying, I was like, damn, see, see hey, this is me, my just, unlearned uh, eyes. I was like, I don't know the nuances of Pokemon. Do this you know when like Batwoman premieres on the CW? <laughs> no, God. Did you know Arrow was part of the DC uh, TV universe? Oh, oh. The CW universe? Or whatever the hell it's called? <laughs> um, uh, I mean, it is the case, right, that like they're running out of like basic concepts. like, Or they ran out a long time ago. <laughs> and so almost part of the joy of a new Pokemon game is like, all right, motherfuckers. <laughs> Drink these feet. What next? What are yeah. you even going to do yeah. now? <laughs> Absolutely. Sweeties, feeties, teasies. Yeah. Also, the... the okay, the turn drink, off this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I do love when they go back and remix an old Pokemon, like the new uh, Weezing that is uh, 
in the early industrial age uh, capitalist. Yep. Got a big old top hat and smokestacks. It's real good. <laughs> oh, right. That's a good one. That's <laughs> a great design. Great. <laughs> um, uh, small other thing to talk about with Pokemon, though, is Pokemon Camp. You can camp with your Pokemon. Um, and it sounded like they're adding something akin to support levels. Uh, but that was such a small blip, and I haven't been able to find more information on it. But that'd be pretty interesting. Um, Pokemon has long been like one v one battles, usually in single player. But it looks like they're starting to expand more into the two v two style that a lot of competitive play is based around. Um, and if they are also adding some way to like, you know, another another wrinkle on top of that to like uh, make certain Pokemon, uh, you know, buff each other like passively, that seems like. You know, more interesting ways to battle Pokemon is always great. <laughs> In my book. <laughs> yeah. God Mine damn. too. <laughs> uh, Patrick. Yeah. Is Doom 64 great in your book? <laughs> uh, look, well, what do you mean by... Yes. Okay, one, I think Doom 64 is great because it was, as someone who was obsessed with Doom as a kid, playing Doom 64, which is essentially... I think it, no, it was, it was all brand new levels, yeah. but like using a lot, the same character, like it wasn't, I don't think there were new like enemies or anything yeah. like that, but it was updated characters, like redrawn, mm -hmm. high res at the time, Vaseline blurry Nintendo 64 mm -hmm. yes. character. So it was like seeing like the pinky demon and the imp and the cyber demon in like, like completely redrawn with like seemed like new, te te technolo new technology at the time was so Cool. Um, and also, Doom 64 is critical to the unified Doom mythology theory yes. in which all Dooms are part of the same timeline contingent on the story of Doom 64, which I'm not going to get into here. Please. Oh, my to, God. I, I don't um, know this theory. What is the theory? I'm begging you. I am a Doom fan. and I'm I don't have the specifics in, in front of me, but ba like the short of it is that the there are elements of the Doom 64 storyline of which is just like the opening text and the ending text <laughs> that provide yeah. a premise that allows you to connect every single one of the Doom games because like in Doom 3 um, you find like artifacts mm -hmm. uh, of like previous Doom games and then uh, if I remember correctly the, the, the 2016 Doom there is a the implication and I might be getting this wrong but like I, if I remember is like that there have been all sorts of timelines, like the the like the span at which like the war that you are participating in is like so, just thousands of years, and like could like what happened in Doom Three may have been like a different like era of humanity mm. than what is actually present in Doom Twenty Sixteen, and so there's like a, a unified Doom theory that I've been I want to present to the developers, but I I haven't pitched it quite yet because the game doesn't come out till the end of. Uh, or not till mid of November, but mm. yeah, Doom 64, good ass game uh, from what I remember and good ass sprites. So um, I don't think they're as blurry as they used to be. I hope they inc include an option that's just like Vaseline mode so you can just see it in <laughs> anti alien. It was like in Vaseline. 1996 or whenever. And also, like, it's like critical to remember uh, when the N64 came out, there were like no games for it. I mean, Mario 64 came out and it was like one game a year if you were lucky, other than like you were getting excited for Mortal Kombat trilogy. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, they put in all the Mortal Kombat's and it's blurry. 
and the, the <laughs> Nintendo 64 controller is terrible for fighting games. I'm psyched for that. I played a lot of that Mortal Kombat trilogy. Um, and uh, Doom 64 is one of those marquee, like you go to the software, et cetera, the electronics boutique. Babbages. Like Babbages. <laughs> and it's like, cool, I'm, I'm ready for Doom 64 because I want to pay $90 for this cartridge and I need something else to play on my N64. But um, it's a good it's a good version of Doom. Could never play those games because they made me dizzy. Oh, that's fair. The bobbing. They were fast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the head bobbing. Yeah. Like, fucked you up. Yeah. Fucked I think you can turn that off in like the modern versions, Ooh. right? Maybe. Maybe I'll check some of them out. Like that might be mm-hmm. A little smoother, smooth Cut mode. Days yeah. come. <laughs> you know what game I really liked? Mm. Star Wars Jedi Knight Two Jedi Outcast. Yes. Was the first one bad? I don't remember. I played all of them. <laughs> Well, uh, <laughs> flummox you? I'm trying to. No, was the first one bad? What is the first one? I don't know. I I, I also didn't play the third one. I played okay because the Jedi Academy is the third series. one, right? This is Jedi Knight Two. Dark Forces. Dark Forces Two Jedi Knight. Mm-hmm. Right, it's like the Rambo thing of naming. So, there was, what, yeah. so Dark Forces was a Doom game. Jedi Knight was a polygonal game with lightsaber combat. Mm-hmm. Third person then, as well, right? Yes, third person it, lightsaber combat was optional. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. The shooty bits you played in first person. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, there's Jedi Outcast and then Jedi Academy, which came out. I think that was the third one pretty late. I remember not liking that one very much and not finishing it. And somewhere in there was Mysteries of the Sith in which Kyle Katarn went on like an adventure to the Valley of the Jedi with uh, Mara Jade. Um, I never Kyle in the main timeline. Cowards. <laughs> uh, I know there's like a re- there's like a reference to Kyle Katarn isn't like in like The Force Awakens. There's like a little bit on like I feel like the, the movies have some sort of like background element that sort of like is a nod to him. I want to say that's true, but maybe not. I also want to say that's true, but I I can't. It I can't seems speak real. It's true. It seems I'm gonna real. say it's true. What are these, Thanks, JJ. What were, what were these games on? PC. PC. That's why I missed them. In okay. Tech Three. I, they were. They, they probably were later ported to Xbox, consoles, but those were GameCube. those were primarily PC games for a long, long, yeah. long, long time. Mm. I, I didn't watch this direct. Why is this happening? Like, why is this- <laughs> PC games? No, why? Why is this yeah. game coming to Switch? Like, it's amazing. I'm into it. I'm really into it. But it's like really weird choice. Well, Disney's making a push right now. So they just announced, um, right, that Lion King and Aladdin are getting. Like high definition updates or whatever. I don't know exactly like the, the the amount of work they're putting into the the art, but they're doing re-releases of those on all the consoles. Mm. And so I think this is actually just. And then not long after, like maybe like two years ago, I remember trying to look into this because like slowly a bunch of Disney old Disney games are getting released on Steam, hmm. and it was unclear who was doing the work because this was after they had gotten rid of the Disney Infinity team, and Disney doesn't have internal development studios. Right. They they outsource right. everything. Um, post Disney Infinity, so I was like, "Who the fuck is porting these games?" And they wouldn't answer mm. uh, who was doing it. Um, so I think this is just part of like a more general, which is really exciting. Like I, I would love it if Disney Disney has like not done much in video games in the last you know ten fifteen years, but they have like a really rich catalog of cool yeah. games. Like I would love if all the Mario or the um the uh, 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 Mickey Mouse like platforming mm. games came. To switch the Capcom um, one, that would be super. Yeah. Exciting. yeah, 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 yeah. Very good. 
So yeah, maybe it's just Disney like looking at like easy money. It's like you know have someone port these old games and yeah charges. I'd rather pay five dollars for that than buying Mario World again. So do do you know that that game had a really wild multiplayer scene like a competitive online outcast? Yes, Academy yeah. Academy. Uh, which whichever oh, the one. third one. Yeah, is that that's the one that they're bringing out right? That's the one. That no, Outcast, which is the second one of the trilogy. That's the one coming to switch hmm. although I, I think i got an email that said two of them are coming to huh. what? let me check that Let's i feel see. like that was in <laughs> an email i got this morning i'm looking jedi outcast yeah two legendary games yeah jedi uh, cowcast and jedi Academy right. are both yeah. coming to switch wow that game had a super deep like competitive scene with like a super yeah look oh yeah you're right so this says in the in the press release in addition star wars jedi knight jedi academy will follow soon after an early 2020 with uh aspir bringing back the game's much celebrated online multiplayer battles yeah um i wasn't in that scene but i'd be curious um like why do you remember why it was like i think it's just time place or was there something specific that was interesting about it i think it was legitimately interesting in that you know i think every um jedi focused star wars game comes into like runs into this problem of how do you do lightsaber combat because you know on the one hand uh it's supposed to be this super deadly thing that slices people in half but then Mm. on the other hand it's like video games just don't let you dispatch enemies usually that quickly um and i think the multiplayer did it's like if i tapped you with the lightsaber you were kind of done (laughs) <laughs> and there was there was just people got very very good at it and it's like there was a lot of depth to how you can swing your lightsaber and switch between lightsaber and uh range weapons and force abilities it was just like it was like, like somebody put in the effort it's like i wish i knew who worked on it and like what their thinking was but i remember i had a friend there would be a good oral history on like the like jedi knight and jedi academy yeah. mm-hmm. like, so there was like two they felt very ahead of sorry they felt very ahead of their times like like these vr games that have like lightsaber stuff you know i think a lot of people think of that as like oh this is like the realization of what it'd be like to control a lightsaber it's like actually like jedi knight was doing a lot of that mm-hmm. shit with like far less to work with um and in a little more inventive manner um you know back in the 90s yeah and there were like there was like two main scenes for people who were really into it and one is like you know like a competitive you know capture the flag or team deathmatch or i don't remember what the exact mode was where it's like you have right 10 or uh 16 players but then people were also really into duels so it's just like there was a big duel scene so it's just like you and one other person in a room and maybe one other person waiting and like watching to jump in that's um, so cool yeah and it was just like these really intense uh fights like in the movies you know what i mean like people jumping around and from platform to platform it was really cool it was really it was it's weird artifacts super weird yeah Yeah. super weird that like they never took advantage of it like the fact that it's been this long in between and like there's nothing to suggest in the the star wars game that's coming out this year that has lightsaber combat that is a little dark soulsy in terms of its sort of like combat design but it's it is weird that there hasn't just been like another game that's like yo what if we just made a whole game where like like a Bushido blade sort of yeah. like the lightsaber is like a really in-depth complicated weapon to use. Mm-hmm. And we'll just build a game around that. Um, I mean, I think that just speaks to like the ineptness at Disney to understand taking advantage of their properties in, in video games, which actually continues to this day. But um, the ports let you remember a time when there used to be some decent yeah. uh, Disney games. Rob, 
this is a total tangent and this is not going to work for anyone else but me and Rob. But Rob, I just want to read this to you um, from Adam Schefter on Twitter. The next chapter, Antonio Brown and GM Mike Mayak got into it Wednesday and the team is now planning to suspend its star wide receiver. League sources tell ESPN. Oh, no. What? <laughs> you didn't read about yesterday where he missed a couple of practices. So for people to, okay, go listen to our NFL podcast. We talk about Antonio Brown, probably the best wide receiver in the league, or at least top three. Um, he uh, had a whole bunch of issues in the offseason related to his helmet. Um, and he also missed a couple of practices. Now with troublesome players or players that like teams are struggling to like sort of like get in line for whatever their expectations are, they will sometimes threaten them with fees. So if you miss a practice, they could fine you for what is ultimately a pittance compared to what they make. In this case, it was like something like $50,000 and he probably signed a contract that is worth 80 million or whatever. I don't know, actually know the details offhand. Um, but often teams threaten to do that, but don't actually collect. It's just a way of like tisk, 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 but not actually taking the money from the player. They don't have to, the NFL guidelines do not force them to take that money. They sent a letter saying they were going to take that money. And then Antonio Brown put out a tweet yesterday that was like all angry about it. And then I guess that turned into a big thing. And now they're going, this team is going to suspend him. (laughs) What a joy. What a joy. (laughs) Fuck John Gruden. Hope the Raiders burn this week. This season. Anyway, sorry. I just I had Rob. I just had to. So the wheels yeah. are already this far off. Yep. Uh, sorry. Anyway, Nintendo. They threw the book at him. Yeah, they threw uh, the playbook at him. Sans, That's what I got. Sans Undertales and Smash. <laughs> so is Banjo Kazooie. <laughs> so is Banjo Kazooie. Sans Undertales for some reason yeah. got a bigger reaction, yeah. despite Banjo, the fact Banjo, that Banjo Kazooie. <laughs> despite the fact that it's just a costume, <laughs> but still. <laughs> No respect for my barren yeah. bird. Oh, uh, no. Banjo's great. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Um, <laughs> is he good? Have you have you played him? Yeah, Kato? yeah, yeah. I've, I've, uh, Can I you sort of describe how the, the character works? Yeah. Yeah, and Kato, I noticed something funny during the <laughs> trailers yesterday. It seems to me that many Uh-oh. of these new characters in Smash... <laughs> Oh, Break God, the Rob. rules of oh, Smash Rob. in some oh, fascinating so. ways. Um, but I'm curious if you'd like to develop that thought. Oh, God. Nail yes. it. Good. Yeah. By the time this October is... October 6th, Sundays, 8 p.m. <laughs> By the time this is uh, this is out, I'll have probably finished that small blog post about how each of the new DLC characters in the Fighters Pack that has come out since the game's launched, I think have... In small and more increasingly more uh, drastic ways, broken kind of the rules that they've set up for Smash characters. Like Smash, a part of a part of its ease of pick up and play ability is that all of the inputs are the same for every character. Um, which is, you know, like most fighting games, you have different uh, kind of archetypes of characters, like your reuse with uh, your quarter circles and or your grapplers or your charge characters, things like that, where the inputs are different. But here, what you're really learning is kind of what to expect from the same inputs across every character. Um, one of those things is, for the most part, apart from characters who have a totally different move here, which is fine, but it, uh, 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 an up special move is usually used as a last ditch effort to get back onto the stage um, because after you use your up, sm- uh, up special, uh, you're put into a helpless state where you just fall helplessly. You can't do anything else. You can't jump again. Um, 
for some reason, I don't know why. Maybe this is just a thing because you could do this in the original Banjo Kazooie. You can ups, you can use your up special, which is still a, a super like high vertical, not even that high, but a high vertical jump off of a spring, and then you can continue jumping after the fact. Danielle, which fact is check: like, Is that something Banjo Kazooie can do? Well, he can do like a so you can jump and then it does like a flip. <laughs> yeah, is that what this is? Okay, yes. Yeah. Fact okay. Check. Okay. <laughs> uh, check. Affirmed from the banjo expert. <laughs> Great. <laughs> but basically, like, uh, it's like a simple thing that they're breaking there where, like, normally using your up B is the last thing you you do in, in because otherwise, once you do that, you can't act anymore. Um, the other thing being that their side special is uh, a limited time use, like, you can only use it five times before then you just can't use it for the rest of the match until you die, huh. uh, which is wild. Um, but each of these, uh, and that's like, um, I forget what the move is in the original games, but it, it's uh, signified by little feathers. Um, like flying? No. Oh, the um, the golden feathers where you're invincible kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. that. Cool. Um but so once you run out of, you only have five feathers, and once you run out of them, you there's no way to recharge them during a match until you that you lose that stock basically. Wow. Um, which is cool and not a thing that any of the other characters have done. Um, and it's just that keeps it, it keeps they're like they're willing. It's it feels like they're willing to bend the rules more in order to keep in line with the spirit of the original characters in their in their original games like they did this also with hero where like the uh, hero's smash attack has a critical chance because like you get critical chance in rpgs and it is uh, random enough that people have like some some tournaments have banned them because it's just like what if you just get a lucky crit like that's not skill like we're gonna ban yeah. this character because it's mm. too random um I think that it's fine because it's only on the smash attack, and like if you're letting someone smash you to hit the smash attack on you, it doesn't matter. Like you're probably gonna die. Well, anyway. the entire thing of like, <laughs> like get good is what. <laughs> well, and also like yes, there's this entire like competitive scenes love to like have a definition of what skilled play is, yeah, and how the game should be played, and then they try to enforce that through like. Uh, tierless and such. This isn't universal, but I have always found this an interesting aspect of the entire thing where, like, there are some things clearly within the game... Like, some games are straight up just never designed to be competitive games. That doesn't necessarily stop them. Yeah. Uh, the original, yeah. you know, Smash didn't wasn't clearly wasn't designed to be a competitive game. Is. Uh, but, yeah, it is always funny to me to see this idea, especially, like, with a new game where you immediately have people deciding, like, oh, I don't like the way that victory was won. Right. That seems that seems cheap, so we're going to ban it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. Anything else from the Nintendo Direct that got people really fired up? SNES games? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. It's pretty With cool. Some really weird choices. Yeah, Don't let me effects. look at this again. First, one that's, first time it's ever been on anything I other wanted, than the They said today. SNES. We're recording on Thursday. They said today, and it hasn't yep. happened yet. I keep fucking checking the eShop. Brawl Brothers? I don't even know what that game is. Straight up. What is Brawl Brothers? <laughs> Answer me. Anyone know? Who is Brawl Brothers? Uh, <laughs> Who are the Brawl Brothers? I really hope it's a stealth demake of Smash Brothers Brawl. Oh my god. <laughs> it's not. It's not going to be. But that'd be great. It, it sounds uh, fun. And it's also yeah, it's, all caps. Like two other, like one other game here. <laughs> two others. F-Zero also 
all caps, and Super EDF, Earth Defense Force, which I didn't even realize had a history before the games on, like, next gen. that was a... Yeah, I don't even know what that looks like I had like no idea. Nintendo. Like, um... Because I figured that... I always thought that was a polygonal game, and apparently it started as a shooter. Like a, you know, R-type game. What? Um, That's wild. Today yeah. I learned that Super Earth Defense Wars was on, on SNES. I mean, because, yeah, like, there was no, there's no way that the 3D capabilities of a... Yeah, yeah. The SNES could pull off that, um, but they do. Um... Yeah, it's a good lineup. I guess I just, I'll just read all the names. Uh, Brawl Brothers, Demon's Crest, Joe Mac 2, Lost of the Tropics. I've never played that. Kirby's Dream Land 3, Star Fox, Super EDF, Earth Defense Force, Super Mario Kart, Super Mario World 2, Yoshi's Island, hell yeah. Yes. Super Puyo Puyo 2, hell yeah. Super Tennis, eh? Brother Fire, F-Zero, Kirby's Dream Course, Piloting, Stunt Race of X, Super Ghouls and Ghosts, Super Mario World, Super Metroid, Super Soccer, The Legend of Zelda, A Link to the Past. That's a good lineup. Yeah. And they're not, I thought this was going to come with, and by the way, it's $2 more a month, um, but they were very explicit Ugh. in saying it's not going to cost anything more. That's cool. Because um, the price, a, they're going to raise the price at some point, and I'm just curious when, what they choose to justify that with, but not today, apparently. Um, what, Terry Bogard coming to Smash? Oh, uh, Kato, they, uh, uh, you know, more Smash. Uh, they announced they're doing, what, five more characters? Are they doing more characters? More, just more past this. Just the, more? They initially announced this fighter pack, which you could buy as a bundle, and you would just get all the characters as they release. Um, but they said, like, there will be more characters after this fighter pack. This isn't the end of Smash. Sakurai will never sleep. Uh, he will continue working on this game for the rest of his <laughs> Sakurai, life. Sakurai, who did, did, did a Banjo video, and she was like, if you aren't familiar with Banjo-Kazooie, then just load up your Xbox One and download Banjo-Kazooie. <laughs> Apparently, just, uh, it was enough to make Xbox video was... trend in, in mm-hmm. Japan because wow. people were talking about Xbox for like the and first time. And there was a laugh track time. associated with it. Yeah. yeah. In the video, yeah. he was like, go play an Xbox One, and then there'd be in the background, ha, 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 Which is just like, what, what are we doing? What are we doing? It's a weird it's, time. It's a good port for what it's worth. <laughs> How do they not port that game to Switch? I which know. will probably happen eventually. Yeah. Is this a sign? Well, I think we learned. Is this a nice, well, a good sign that maybe, maybe one day we'll be we'll banjo again on a Nintendo console? Maybe. I doubt they'll ever make another banjo game, but I bet at some point next year we get the rare replay on, on Switch. That'd be so great. Mm, yes. That'd be so yeah. nice. Oh, I'd be happy about that. I don't know. I, I take a different stance. I think one day marketers. Uh, publishers are going to realize there's a lucrative Danielle demographic <laughs> that you just need to tap into. Yeah. There's it's a just, lot of it's, me. It's a gold mine. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a uh, lot of people in their mid 30s who were like young teens when those games came out and were obsessed with them and thought they were the then, best thing. We'll skip it now. <laughs> oh, no. Honestly, if they, if they just did like uh, Banjo Kazooie Nuts and Bolts Definitive Edition and put that out on the Xbox and Switch. That'd be good, like because that is also in a deadly premonition sort of way a game that was like weirdly misunderstood at the time, yes. but has now been come to like be thought of as like a really underrated, innovative. Um, I don't know if classic is quite the word, but definitely a, 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 a severely underrated. It's a good game. A uh, game, yeah. But yeah, I think that's everything from the Nintendo Direct. Wait, what uh, was Tokyo that? Tokyo Mirage. Talk, yeah, Tokyo Mirage was a thing. Uh, Animal Crossing, more stuff. Oh yeah, Animal the Crossing. Game looks cute. Love it. Uh, mm-hmm. what was that, the, the, uh, the name, what's the name of that Game Freak thing? Little, T- uh, town, mm, town, Little Town Hero. Little Town Hero. That looked interesting. 
Uh, and with music from uh, Undertale's Toby Fox, which I think is just yeah. leading into my theory. This is not supported by any reporting, but is my theory is that um, what's this new game called? Kyle? Deltarune. Yeah, I think Deltarune is going to be announced as a Switch exclusive. It'll come to PC, but I think like Nintendo is just bringing bringing him in to play Smash with Sakurai, letting him do a remix for yeah. Smash Brothers, like. Having to do music for like Little Town Hero, mm. like the, Nintendo was just buttering him up uh, <laughs> yeah. for a contract. Let us and give so you I, a I, team. Is, <laughs> well, also, like, wouldn't that be actually like? Correct me if I'm wrong, Kato. You, I, I played Undertale, but you follow this a little more closely. Like, even when the fandom maybe not be like totally upset if like he had like a structure around him to ensure that game, yeah, came out in the next ten years. No, yeah, that'd be great. I mean, yeah, like he, he, he said when he released the first part of Undertale that, uh, Deltarune rather, that he's making it by himself and he doesn't want to, uh, he doesn't feel like he has enough like he didn't feel like he wanted to make a big team, so it's gonna probably take like five years for the game to finish which, who knows (laughs) if that slips uh, but, I mean hopefully yeah, I, I I would love for Nintendo to just like give him a team that he can work with, and <laughs> maybe we can get that game in the next two or three years instead of like seven three years, years. Three years seems like yeah. you could you could do yeah, that. Yeah, totally. Uh, Speaking yeah, of other things you could do, you could order a mattress. <laughs> Let's take a quick break. <laughs> Let's take a quick break. There's no guarantee, Rob. You could do it. You I'm can also saying, you can also you watch Batwoman. <laughs> yeah, my partner legitimately That's... the other day was like, "Oh my god, I want this mattress!" Like, was listening to Waypoint Radio. And was like, "Oh my god, I want this mattress!" Like, Dude, actually said that to me. <laughs> Send me one. I'd like to. Tr- I'd like to try it out. Let's yeah. Go. Hey, you know who sent me shit? Mac Weldon. Yep. <laughs> A lot of so, good underwear. But they're not paying Get us the anymore. Fucking game. A lot of good nature box back in the day, too. <laughs> say the Ack Weldon gate. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, point is, order this goddamn mattress. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's too expensive? I'm sorry. Don't you have a line of credit you can tap into? <laughs> Think about it. Jesus Christ. It. Let's take a break. <laughs> Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. And we're back. Uh, So, Emmanuel, you've been playing some Gears. I have. um, Gears is back. Is it better than ever? Uh... I would say that it is not. It is not. 
better than Gears has ever been. Definitive. Uh, I uh, I believe that Cam's review of it is on the site right now. Um, yeah. I gave that a read uh, with you before it went up, and I think uh, he's right on the money. Uh, is anyone here uh, a Gears fan or a player even? Yeah, no, I, I've, I've really enjoyed those first three games. Um, never dipped my toes into the multiplayer because that's just never been my thing for any franchise. But in terms of, like, playing a Michael Bay, like, video game, I've always felt like Gears, uh, like, even though Call of Duty was often the one associated with that, like, comparison, I actually felt like Gears of War was, like, always far more apt because, you know, I actually found, like, the, the characters, like, fairly endearing and yeah. like you know not a ton of depth but like i enjoyed rooting for them in the same way that like the best michael bay movies like a bad boys or something like that you're like yeah sure hell yeah like and i <laughs> i felt like gears always nailed that like vibe and was just like and it felt really good to play um yeah see i always got a little frustrated by gears because i first came to the series long like after Gears 2, I picked the series up, but I was kind of expecting it to be totally like the Mad Mad World trailer. Oh, no. Because so, oh. I, I was like, damn, like, <laughs> it's so bleak and sorrowful. This burly man has hidden depths and like war is a tragedy and destruction. And so I was like kind of taken aback when it was just like a crew of homies wrecking shit. <laughs> when, it, when Cole was <laughs> busting like, through with a bunch of like mildly to explicitly stereotypical lines and he busts through a window like he's the Kool-Aid man. Yeah. Coltrane. Yeah. And I was like, so when does the contemplative like sadness begin? And my experience, it never did, but it does look like maybe they tried to start weaving that kind of depth into the series as it went along. Yeah. I mean, I think they always try to do that. I would say it is bleak. Like it is a world that exists like, it's just a world of guns and bullets and chainsaws and gore. It's like that's all there is to it. And it's like their bodies are like built. You know what I mean? It's just like mm. the only thing that happens in this world is is fighting and killing. Um, that's bleak <laughs> if you think about it. Um, I also came to the series late. I wrote a big feature about Gears 4. Um, I think it was 20 Gears of War 4 thank you Gears 5 is the first time we have dropped really, the, of really? War. oh yeah. my god I apologize mm-hmm. um, so Gears of War 4 yeah uh, I wrote I think it was in 2017 I wrote a story about it and I haven't played the games before that so I played all of them in like the span of a week or two and I was surprised. That's a lot of Gears I know I know and I, I really I, I was like dreading it but it's like I dug it I thought it was like if you if you have to like yeah. chew through a bunch of games, those are like easy games to chew through. Um, they never slow down. It is just like go do exa- explosion thing. So satisfying gunplay. Exactly. Here. So here's the thing. It's like obviously like many games can be compared to a roller coaster that you're just like riding, but Gears is that in in its very DNA. It's like so like. One of the main things you do just like second to second in that game is a roadie run, right? It's like you hide behind cover and then you need to get to a better point of cover to get the drop on your, on, on like, um, what are they called? The locust. And it's just like this really uh, kinetic, like the camera moves down and uh, pulls away. And there's just like this feeling of weight 
to the run itself, which makes it fun because it's a thing you do all the time. It feels really good. Um, but it's like when you're doing the roadie run, you can only move forward, right? It's like you can't really like move to the side a lot. And like that's what the game feels like. It's just like you mm. busting through obstacle after obstacle, just like move forward, move forward. It's like here's a new challenge. It's like all these things are coming at you. You're going to have to figure it out. But it's like we're going to do it because we're the – Killing Bros, or you know, whatever <laughs> they are, um, and that's their name. Yeah, I like Emmanuel's note on the draft. By the way, was Delta Squad? Who's Delta Squad? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> do you, perchance, do you mean the Killing Bros? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so that—that's the game. It's like this, just like this linear thing that you run through, and it feels really good, Patrick. Like you say, it's like, and 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 this game does as well. It's just like. It, from like the first frame, I'm just like, wow, this really pops. It's like everything is colorful and chunky, and it's like shooting these enemies in the head is like the same satisfaction you get from like popping a zit or something. It's just like it's all very visceral and and great. Um, but the thing that it does here, um, and like the coalition, the developer, it's like their big statement seems to be um, like, hey, what if gears, but open world? Like, what if you know, and not, but not fully, right? So no. I haven't gotten to that point yet. But like the open world, when you say that word, like it has like an enormous amount of connotations that can mean lots of different things to lots of different people. Mm-hmm. But it, I mean, like I've played up through Act Two, mm-hmm. uh, so you know, like the first like three to four hours of the game, and it is just straight linear gears. Like mm-hmm. it, like I just want to like make clear that like for a good chunk of this game, it is just what you have experienced before. Before I think it takes a turn. Yeah, and and it's not much of a turn. It's basically saying, like, instead of being in this hallway, what if you were in, like, what if you got to choose which hallway to go to next? (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, (laughs) Right. And and that, like, that really seems to be, like, the twist to the the game or, like, their big statement about where the series is going. And it both doesn't work because... It's not that big of a change. Like I said, it's not like the world is filled with any sort of anything that would uh, like be surprising or uh, like any sort of emergent uh, events that you would get just from like going from point A to point B. You're just like going from point A to point B. And like once you get there, it's a normal Gears game. Um so it doesn't work on that level. And it also doesn't work because it's like, that's not what I want. It's just like, I want the roller coaster. I want I, I want to be on this ride, which is like constantly pushing forward and like doing one awesome thing after another. And I thought like all the games did that. I thought Ford did that very well. And, you know, th- this wasn't what, what the piece was about. So it's not in there. Like this big feature I wrote about uh, Gears of War 4. Um, but what they kept saying is like, we have to do right by the fans, right? It's like the whole thing was, it's a new studio. Uh, they haven't made a game like this in a little bit. So it's like, we just want to get it right. And they did, they did, they got it right. Uh, they made another one of those. They did it really well. I thought I had fun with that game. And now it seems like. But this is what the, this is what the Halo team ran into as well. This this has been my general criticism Mm -hmm. of, of Microsoft's approach to both of these franchises is that they handed them off to new studios and then tasked them with 
I think understandably, those studios being like, look, let's do something that's like pretty safe, pretty conservative. Let's just prove that we can make one of these. Mm -hmm. And then I don't think it's surprising over time, both of them have gone in similar directions. We haven't seen Halo Infinite, Mm -hmm. but the promise of Halo Infinite is that it is like a a much more true emergent open world, like a a real like reconfiguring of the context of Halo. Whereas like Gears 5 feels like a half step toward, or even a quarter step towards like something much more of a profound change in a in a Gear 6. But it seems like they found themselves in like a really weird spot in both franchises where the games they made, like Halo 4 and, and Gears of War 4 were games that like, you know what, didn't need to publish them. If you could have just made those internally and we just never saw it, you just proved you could make them. Cool, you're good. Now go make something a little more risky, a little more interesting. Like put your imprint on these franchises. Like, you know, especially these many years in, both of them are feeling like what they do well, they continue to do well, mm-hmm. but they're feeling stale relative to what else is happening in video games. And it's taken them so long to catch up. And that's why Gears 5, even though what I've read about the open world stuff and the way you, you're talking about it, it's interesting. Like, I'm glad they're pushing up against the boundaries of what Gears is to some degree, because I don't, Gears 4, I think at least proved that the roller coaster is fine, but also like, I wouldn't mind if it was a different roller coaster, you know, like mm-hmm. a different world, different characters. Like I like, they clearly can do it. I like the spectacle, but I've seen a Brumac attack yeah. like, you know, 10 times. I don't need to see it an 11th time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm like genuinely curious where they go from here because the game is good enough, but it feels just like Halo 5 where um, Halo 5 got its own, uh, you know, up its its own ass about its mythology and its mm-hmm. storytelling in a way that just like left me behind. But I, I finished that game being like, cool, like you can do this, but like go do anything else with this. Like I'm fine. Like I think they get so hung up on this is what the fans want. It's like the fans, fans are also excited when you give them something they didn't know they want. And neither of these franchises, at least so far, have felt comfortable enough to be like, let's go do something super risky. Um, they leave that to like Gears Pop or, yeah. or something else that puts it in a completely different context. Yeah, I would also say that the new things that they're trying are not in conversation with whatever is happening in games today, whether that's like really avant-garde indie stuff or even just like the big budget blockbuster stuff. It's like they're in conversations with video games from like 2009. Mm -hmm. Um, So for example, there is a scene in this game where it's like you kind of go through the prologue. Um, you do all the cool stuff. They're like, hey, man, it's a Gears game. It's like <laughs> shit's going to like go off. And it's like, that's cool. And then there's a scene where things slow down. And you walk through this um, village, basically, where it's like you do something you don't do in Gears games a lot, which is like you just walk around. And it's like mm-hmm. you experience the world. And that is new for Gears. But it's like beat for beat the scene from Uncharted 2, if you guys remember, when you walk into that uh, village in the Himalayas. And it's like, when mm-hmm. that happened in Uncharted 2, it was like, wow. It's like, look, this big budget action game is just letting me experience an environment uh, with all the fidelity of like a big budget video game. And that was cool back then. It, like it actually, like I remember playing it and being like, being struck by it. And it's like, seeing them do that in 2019 with sort of, like you get the feeling that they're like, huh? How about this? You know what I mean? It's just like, how about no shooting? You know what I mean? And it's just like, okay. I mean, it's like, I mean, it's a good, it's a good thing to try, but it's, it, you're about 10 years too late to this. Yeah. Um, the other thing is 
Um, and I guess it's like, I don't care. It's, it's going to be a little spoilery, like very minor, but it's like you open the game with one character and then in act two, you switch to a different character and it's a woman. And it's like, I think even that is meant to hit the player about like, huh? It's like, it's gears, but you get to play as a woman. Like, isn't that like, <laughs> isn't that like really daring? And it's like, it's not, it's not a big deal. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's, it's totally normal. And she's a good character. I actually think. She's Patrick. also on the cover, isn't she? Yeah, I was going to say, like, I have the, the copy right. in my hand. Yeah. Uh, she's fr- she's front and center in, like, sort of the, the story of Gears High. It's like Kate, right? Is yeah, the, yeah. Um, but it's like, like she, she you don't she's put, a really interesting character. Yeah, yeah. But it feels like it's, it feels like they're trying to make a statement about, with it. And it's just like, I don't think that it is. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's not a thing to make a statement about. It, feel, it feels really weird. Well, I'm curious... Know? Like, just the fact of her being there feels like a statement, or does the game call attention to it? Like, does the game sort of put in lights like, whoa, like, female leading character, crazy for Gears, right? Like, Th- that's how I that. feel. Yeah, I feel, I, I, that's how, that, that's my you also sense don't, of it. You don't play as her, or you can't play as her for, like... For the first half. Right. It's, right. A, it's right. like for a switch. A it's like, it's a Metal Gear 2 thing where it's just like, you thought it was going to be just another Gears game, but it's not, because you're her. You know, and I don't know. It's, it's not. <laughs> yeah, but I'm, but I'm curious. Like, but why do you feel like it's, it's calling attention to that? Because that's, I think it is. The thing I want to be cautious about is I don't want to say like, aha, it feels like a woman being the lead character in this game. They must be making some kind of statement. I'm curious how if if the game feels like it's sort of putting lights around that idea. How is that coming across? Like, does the text of the game mm-hmm. sort of congratulate itself or like pick a fight that is no longer a fight over gender discrimination, gender dynamics? Does it sort of call attention in that way and sort of congratulate itself on a presumed daringness that maybe is unearned? Mm-hmm. Like, how is it communicating it? Yeah. yeah. I think it's more, if, like, Mail, you're further, but it feels like for me, it's more like the open world stuff. It's like, Cool, it's here. What'd you do with it? And that also feels mm. like yeah. maybe similar to to what's happening here. Like it's fine, yeah, sure. But I, it's it's more. And it's not saying that Kate's a palette swap or anything like simple like that. Like she is a fully developed, interesting character, probably the most interesting character in the game mm-hmm. uh, from what yeah. I've played. But I don't know. It, fe- it feels similar to that, Emmanuel. Was she in four? Yes. Okay, I played a bit of four, and I do remember an interesting moment very early on in that game where she encounters, like, a poster that basically tells women they need to reproduce. Like, there's, there's like, a very sort of blatantly sexist moment, like, right off the bat where she's kind of like, ugh, you know, she sort of reacts to that, and that mm. being, like, a thing. So I'm almost, like, wondering if this is connecting back to that and being like, but now a bigger chunk of the game is more, you know, front and center about this sort of thing. Yeah, I would say, I would compare it to, I don't know, Patrick, if you got to this part, but um, it's like, there's a reference to an event that happened in one of the cities where, like, the Gears were confronting protesters. I just got to that point, yeah. And then it's revealed who actually shot at them. Yeah, but it's like, I I do feel like there's a fair, like, my, my read on it is like, that they, it's sort of, like the fact that we're even like bringing an issue like this into the game is like a big deal. You know what I mean? It's like Gears mm-hmm. is going to engage with this topic, and it's like, isn't that crazy? Um, so- I don't. I don't. I don't know. Like, I don't. I don't. At least I don't think the game is being particularly self-congratulatory about that. Like, I felt like in Gears Four, like that element that that Danielle brought up about 
sort of where like the underpopulation and partially due to the fact that like it was extremely difficult for women to give birth without like this big project they like underwent in order to make that happen. And I think Marcus's wife was like a huge yeah. like part of that. And like I don't know if she died in childbirth. I forget exactly like the what would happen in Gears 4 regarding that. But like I, I thought like the like the protester bit, I don't want to like spoil like the arc of that in Gears 5, but it felt like pretty natural. Like that was sort of the stuff where I was like, yeah, keep like keep pushing on that. Like I find that more interesting than the other parts where it's pushing on um, mm-hmm. because it felt like f- at least fairly naturalistic for the, the world, but it didn't, I never got the impression at least to the, to the point that I'm at where it's like, isn't it cool? Like we're doing politics. It felt like within <laughs> the margins of like, like it, it felt like it's a, it, gears five. So it feels like game is like, okay, okay. We've never really, thought about the politics of this world because we were more just like a, a bro-y a Michael Bay mm-hmm. movie and Gears 4 and 5 seem at least to some degree like how can we look at that and introduce some elements that would be reflective of the political dynamics of the world we have established. This is something I'm also just curious about having sort of only tuned in like the first one and a half games. Um, if memory serves, COG was always subtextually bad like Mm -hmm. as you were Mm -hmm. playing the game you just hear like the game opens with marcus being in a prison for reasons that did not totally seem on the up and up right (laughs) like the the game is literally him being hauled out of prison uh because he was thrown there for like insubordination uh but the implication was always there were a lot of hints that cog had to a degree brought this upon themselves and also was kind of running this increasingly dystopian society that you never really interacted with because you were part of, uh, you know, the, the, the murder bros, uh, basically. <laughs> and what I'm curious about is did the later games, uh, like by, like in gears fandom, is it widely understood that cog is bad or is gears five going to sort of take people a little bit by surprise, by making explicit this notion that, like, for instance, that poster Danielle saw, it's like, yo, this is who Cog is and it's who they've always been. Like, do you think that's going to come as sort of news or or raising the eyebrows among people who've been playing this game? Or was the game always pretty clear about, like, hey, this is a series where you are serving a really brutal uh, fascist, fascist regime? Um... I think the way they always played it is we're the soldiers and we're done in the muck doing, like, the dirty work um, and the top brass, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, the bureaucracy is bad, but we're good. That's that's kind of, like, kind of a Rambo. So you don't feel the early, like, Epic Games interrogated the politics of COG much? Um, I mean, they're definitely doing it more now, but I think I think your reading is yeah. right. It's always been like yeah. the organization is bad, but the 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 soldiers are good. You know what I mean? That's like I think always the line. Very Ghost Recon Breakpoint. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good. Patrick, I don't know. What do you what do you think? Was it was it always pretty explicit uh, that that Cog was bad news or? Man, it's been because so, I played these as they came out, so it's been a long time since I've played. Uh, the first three, but my read of them was always, yeah, like it was a sort of rah rah, like yeah, the system is bad, but like don't worry, like we'll we'll save the day. And I think four and five have taken, I relative to gears, like 
meaningful steps to sort of think about the implications of the the world that it's set up. Um, to a degree that I think like mostly works. Uh, you know, it's 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 fine. Like I I, I one thing I do want to mention that uh, Emmanuel brought up earlier. Like four and five are like really colorful games. Mm-hmm. Like it's like spectacularly so. Like Gears one, two, and three were just really like brown and dark and muted. Um, and just they were gorgeous for what they were, but like just like really obsessed with the grim dark um aesthetic. And four and five like keep some of that, but just like I mean five five opens with just like in the training section, like you're you you um in the tutorial, like you're stuck in this dark box and then the box opens and it's just like beautiful vistas and mountains and just like an incredible like landscape. It's a it's a really gorgeous uh looking game. Um that uh I just I just appreciate that they especially relative to where, where gears came from, uh four and five are just like they just really pop in a way that that works. Well uh Last question, is this going to be intelligible to me at all as somebody who didn't tune into the series very much? Because I'm getting it. I'm a Game Pass person, so like yeah. it's, just, mm. it's just showing up like, hey, man. I, the, previous, <laughs> like, <laughs> the previously on, it does a previous, previously on Gears. Mm-hmm. Um, like straight up with a narrator that says that um, <laughs> to start Gears 5. And that setup is, I don't think, explains. It, it tells you what happened in Gears 4, but does not explain enough of the character dynamics for like why mm. what ha- like there's a big thing that happens at the end of Gears 4 um related to Kate that is has some like really interesting mythology uh implications but I would actually go read like actual summaries cuz <laughs> and just go read this plot summaries for you know 1 2 3 and 4 you can skip judgment that one's not um all that people can here. fly right uh, people can fly, and Tom Bissell wrote it, and he also wrote five. I don't know hmm. if he wrote four. Um, and um, yeah, like you'll be okay. But Gears Five hits the ground running. Like it doesn't do a lot yeah. of like catching up on character dynamics and like where the plot is. It's basically just like, cool, we're an episode in this saga. Let's go, um, and just kind of starts from there. All right, so that is Gears Five. Uh, Patrick and Danielle, I know you've been playing something else this week. Um, Patrick, you were super excited about it when it was first announced, Blair Witch. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you make of the Blair Witch game? Uh, so I've played about two hours. Um, I'm mixed. I shared a couple thoughts on Twitter in which I was like, I find it difficult to separate my Blair Witch, like super fandom, like, which, you know, if somehow you're unaware, it should be like very clear that like, consider it like the best horror film or you know my favorite horror film of all time it was like deeply affecting to me as a as a kid and i think it holds up really well at least in terms of what i find to be genuinely terrifying and part of what i find terrifying about the film is that it's a bunch of normal people thrown into an extraordinary situation in which there's genuine confusion on whether what's happening is the result of three people like slowly losing it on their own or if there are forces manipulating them towards that end um, and you don't see anything. You don't see the Blair Witch. You don't see anything. Like it is all just completely off on the edges, and it's it's part of what I think makes the film work and continue to hold up. To see some spooky um, stick figures. Mm. Yeah, you see the stick figures. That's it. And and, and but that's you know all that is doing is like implying something grander as opposed yeah. to like showing a spectral figure or something like that. Yeah. In Blair Witch 2016, the 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 sequel that kind of sort of picks up some years later after uh, the original film. Um, 
does what this game does. And this game is responding to the 2016 film less than the 1996 movie, 94. Um, I can't remember. 99, um, I think, but it took might place be later than that. Yeah, because I think I think I was like something. Yeah, yeah. So I think I was like 13 when the when the movie came out. Yeah. Um, and uh, it makes a lot of that stuff explicit, right? Like there are supernatural entities that you find in the woods that respond to light um, in an Alan Wake sort of way. There, um, it also, and that's stuff I have less trouble with because what else are you going to do? Um, like I just think it's difficult to make a Blair Witch game without making the supernatural elements explicit. Um, that is just. How are you going to make a game without visualizing some of this for the player? The things, and I'll be curious, Danielle, because you probably Mm. played further than me, um, is that I, so again, because Blair Witch, I think, is like normal people in an extraordinary circumstance. Blair Witch, the game, is someone that has um, mental health issues that they're struggling with. Um, They have sort of visions they are uh, clearly experiencing to some degree PTSD. Um, I haven't learned enough about the character, but those are really common horror tropes in which a, as a storytelling device, it's effective in the sense that you can like, ooh, is this real? Is it all in this person's head? <laughs> like, ooh, scary. And like, even like separating the uh, like, negative like mental health implications of of that because like it's become such a trope um i feel like that's disingenuous to sort of like blair witch as a mythos as an ethos of like what makes it scary is like introducing a character who is an unreliable narrator um so i'm curious danielle like you're a little further than me like what it does with that if you find that it like actually takes that decides to do something different and it's interesting but like those are my concerns sort of like two hours in when like the basic premise has been laid for me and i haven't really seen it unfold from there yeah i'm actually probably around the same area you are i just have had experience with the game a little later on just because i played the preview build you know a few weeks ago where they showed us other stuff but it's still unclear to me as well like how far they take the mental illness angle or it's also unclear if he has something like a a seizure disorder or it's like just completely unclear what I at at this point I think there's no like really clear sense of exactly what is wrong with Ellis the main character Um, yeah like to 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 clarify that point like there's a sequence where um like the game starts in the day and then like you're probably wondering as I was wondering like how's this motherfucker going to get caught in the dark? Um, <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's got to happen. It's like, okay, what's the trick? And the trick is basically like he stumbles upon, and it's just very, very light early spoilers, like stumbles upon a campsite, yeah. has like a, like a nightmare, like or a, a, you know, a PTSD flashback um, about something traumatic in his life. And then, poof, oh, he woke up in the dark. Yep. Boy, you, you fucked up. <laughs> um, and like, I just found that to be like kind of a weak way. Like I, I worry about when game like games have such a and horror as a, a medium, as a genre, has such a tricky relationship, a bad relationship with mental illness, and that early stuff made me kind of go like, okay, ah, yeah. uh, all right. Yeah, that's extremely valid, and it's also just such a fucking trope too. Like he's an ex cop, well, maybe not even ex cop, but like. He knows the force. He was a cop at one point. He might still be a cop, but everybody in his life, you know, you're talking on the radio with the other cops and you're talking uh, with your, like, ex-wife or ex-partner of some kind on the phone. He has, like, an early cell phone that takes place in, like, the mid-90s. So he's got, like, a like a Nokia brick, you know, that he's uh, he's talking that on. That bit is good. I, I'm a huge good. fan of the yeah. UI elements for yeah, that it stuff. Is, I love the UI. Yeah, I, I should say that as well because you do uh, work with, like, an not old and probably not even actually period 
a specific camcorder uh, that like is actually more like early 2000s, but it's fine. Let's call it 90s. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, everything kind of looks that way. Um, you're having these conversations. Everybody's like, I don't know, Ellis. I don't know if you should go into the woods. Like I, something happened. And like clear, it's clear that he has some sort of relationship with the family of the missing boy. Because that's the whole premise is that there's a young boy who went missing in these woods. Uh, and, you know, it's a search party to find this kid, basically. And it's the Black Hills Forest. It's the Haunted Forest. People are talking about the Blair Witch, et cetera. Um, <laughs> so it's like, okay, it's a cop. And, you know, he probably did something. to the, Maybe he was involved with some sort of shooting incident with the family. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if this happened. To There's some one-off comment about, like, especially what happened with the brother. Like, it's very... Like, Bloober team does not play in subtleties. Like, I I will say this. I really enjoy most of their games. Uh, I like Layers of Fear and Layers of Fear 2, even though they are so over the top, they make the Phantom of the Opera look like he's, you know, just playing playing to the front row kind of thing. Like, wildly over the top. They're playing with tropes, not always in the most uh, subtle or... um, graceful ways but when they do get things right i think they they make really awesome games like i think observer was one of my favorite games of 2017 it was also not subtle in the slightest some of that voice acting uh of like the people you go to in their apartments was like the most like hysterical just you know kind of wild stuff but it but it sort of worked for that that very heightened kind of cyberpunk thing and so i'm i'm forgiving it thus far for kind of really playing with tropes uh, it might completely shit the bed, and I, I wouldn't even be all that surprised because so many horror, even horror things that I love dearly are very, very poor on mental health and, and stereotypes of people with mental health issues. So um, I'm just kind of going with it thus far. One thing I am noticing is actually I should also clarify, I'm really enjoying it thus far, and I am like kind of on board with what it's doing. Uh, and again, to recap a little bit. It is very much a a sort of psychological horror game uh, where you're doing a lot of walking and exploring, but you also have a dog who goes out and seeks things for you, and that's uh, he is involved in a lot of the puzzle solving. And you also have these sort of camcorder puzzles where you put a tape in and you watch the tape, and if you freeze frame in the right place, it'll change something in reality. It'll you know clear a path. It'll make an object appear. Things like that, and th- those are pretty fun thus far like they're very light thus the character far, but... seems to think that's just normal um like, oh, it's like, yeah, that's, you know it. what yeah <laughs> does make does make sense that um i'm gonna rewind this tree falling and now that tree is gone in real life now i can actually one like like that is one of my uh and, you know i'm trying to at this point like i need to start like letting some of this go um but like again one of the reasons that like the blair witch works so well is because the, the sort of like meltdowns that these characters have in response to like losing a map or like finding these stick figures is like they react seemingly realistically yeah. to the circumstances in front of them. Whereas in this, it's just like a dude who's like, yeah, you know, rewind this camcorder. Baseball showed up on the ground. <laughs> that's that's. Right, that's weird. Must have missed no, it the first time. Yeah, it's very not. He he remarks on it once, yeah. and it's like a very small thing where like a little toy car appears in front of him, and he makes it. He goes like, "Yeah, that's the fuck." And then the like, I think the ne- one of the very next puzzles is like a tree yep. that you move out of the way of this camcorder. <laughs> nothing, just like nothing, just like no. Re- just, just accepts like, okay. it, you know. He's, All right, he, sure. Ellis ain't ain't doing so hot. Uh, <laughs> well, as the next cop, he's probably used to things showing up at crime scenes. Wow! Uh, that there before. <laughs> mm, oh. Wow, Ellis. Oh. oh, that's perfect. Also, he named his dog Bullet, which. 
Come on, guys. Yeah. You know? He's a good boy. Uh, he, he is a good boy. Bullet's not to blame here. You can pet him, and I pet him a lot. I don't know if you pet him a lot. At any time. Yeah, all the time. Yes. And I'm playing it with my little dog next to me, and sometimes he, like, hears Bullet bark, and he kind of looks up, and he's he's excited. He's interested in what Bullet is doing. Um, so I, I actually like the interplay with the dog. I think that's pretty cool. The combat yeah. thus far, again, I, only a couple hours in. I've only encountered a, not much, but it it worked you know, kind of the first couple times, you just, it's Alan Wake style. You're just kind of flashing the flashlight in the right place. The dog kind of tells you, triangulate, helps you triangulate where the the demon, I don't know what the fuck it is. It's an apparition of some kind and you just flash a light. Yeah. You know that demons don't like light, okay? We all know this. We accept sure. that, you know, camcorders make baseballs appear and <laughs> flashlights make demons go away. That's how it works. Um, science. Sci it's science, exactly. It's 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 horror science. So I am actually really enjoying uh, with those caveats aside, but I am also finding the game to be pretty janky in a way that the other Bloober Team games have not been. And I don't know if maybe it's early stuff, but like that dog is like halfway uh, through the scenery sometimes. <laughs> like he, his little legs are like down below where the ground is, kind of thing. And I'm just like, all right, you know what? Maybe Bullet just has a special way. Of moving about the world, maybe he's I'm just digging, you know, you know? <laughs> he's digging in. They just put out a big uh, patch. Okay, um, sure. Last night it was like a 1.3 gigs. It was all like the patch notes were all bullet related. Sure, um, <laughs> the bullet sure. patch. We got a bullet and, patch. And my, I mean, I mean, my my guess is, you know, you, I've uh, dipped on layers of fear and layers of fear too, but you've more properly played them. You know, there's this is the most mechanically dense game Very much they've so. done, and like they've they've often made things that are extremely linear. Yeah, and although. Blair Witch is still linear in in so many ways. Often you're the funnel to get to that like next linear piece. Like there is a little bit like you're you're following Bullet to get there, right? Yeah. Like he is kind of guiding you through. So I think there there are just more elements. There are more moments for things to go wrong relative to previous blooper releases where everything is pretty much like yeah, walk forward, set piece occurs, scream. Yeah. Move on to the next thing. Yeah, I don't actually mind it too much this far. I, I, it was one of those things where when we were talking about Deadly Premonition earlier, it's nowhere near the jank of Deadly Premonition, but that just the light uh, layer of of jank on top of it actually it isn't bothering me, and it is it's not taking me out of the experience either. I'm kind of like, hey, you know, it is probably a little difficult to deal with a dog in the woods. I mean, I know my dog is difficult to deal with in the woods, so I'm kind of like kind of going only with in the it. Woods. Oh, yeah, you know, my dog is perfect otherwise. Mm -mm, nope. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I am actually really enjoying it thus far. And I, I'm not coming into this with a huge Blair Witch appreciation. I saw that movie when I was 15, 20 years ago, or whatever, however many years ago it was, like in theaters, and that's the last time I saw it. So my experience of Blair Witch is very fuzzy, and it is just kind of the highlights. It's just the, you know, people crying into the camera, and somebody lost the map, and somebody's freaking out about the sticks, and somebody's looking the other way in a building. Like, those are the things I remember about Blair Witch, for sure. Like, my teenage brain didn't, you know, retain all of it uh, properly. So the fact that I, I am sort of getting into the vibe and I am enjoying it is, I think... A good sign that, you know, uh, even if there is some jank, even if there is some wildly over-the-top uh, kind of stuff, and even if there is some, like, problematic shit about mental illness, uh, which I, as a horror fan and a person with mental illness, kind of always have to navigate. I'm just always like, yep, depressed people. Yeah, this, sure. that's just, like, one of those things where it's like, cool, watch another horror movie that's going to play with this, which is, like, not an excuse as much as just, like, if you're a fan of the genre, it is just one of those things yeah. that... 
it just it comes pops it comes with it, it exactly not an excuse yeah. people should try to do better uh but it is just sure absolutely part of 100%. the thing you know part of the thing i i go into every time when i uh, am enjoying horror so yeah uh excited to see where it goes all right um we'll leave it off there but before we wrap up the show we should take a little dip into the question bucket well dip <laughs> should, so, should we send bullet first, out to search for an email well, until we know that patch is taken, I don't know that we can trust Bullet with such an important job. Um, so our first our first email is from Jonathan. Uh, Hello, I'm early in my career in HR in the Bay Area and in the tech industry. I was laid off recently and I have contacts in a few major game companies in the area. I love games and at one time I would have jumped at the chance right away. However, knowing what I know about the state of labor in the games industry, I'm feeling like an HR job in games would be demoralizing and difficult as someone that empathizes with workers in this industry. As someone that agrees with and supports Waypoint's vision for a unionized games industry, I also understand how such a stance would conflict with my job description in HR. Is there a way for me to work in HR in the games industry and meaningfully help with those efforts, especially as someone low on whatever totem pole I end up on? Thanks as always. Uh, I think it's an interesting particular question, but I think it's an interesting question from a broader standpoint of what does an HR person do? Because I think a lot of us have had disappointing interactions with HR. Um, and there was there have been times when I've been earnestly told by well-meaning people that going to HR would in some way resolve or improve a problem. And that proved not to be the case. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I kind of wanted to explore this a little bit. Is there a way for someone who goes in with both eyes open for them to achieve positive things in an HR role? Do we, think, do we think that is possible? Or do we think that the nature of the role itself kind of undermines any, uh, you know, any hopes you had for it? Manuel and I just shared a look because we're both <laughs> in the uh, union. Uh, um, what, what are we? Union... We are, we, we are committee. We are former bargaining committee. Yeah. Uh, but we uh, are like um, we go to the labor management. The labor meetings. bros. Yeah. yeah. Liaisons. Liaisons. The I killing guess. bros. The killing yeah. bros. The murder bros. Yeah. yeah. Well, murder yeah. bros. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and we have a lot of these discussions. You know, sort of sitting across the table with uh, representatives from the HR department, which we obviously can't talk about on the podcast. It's just one of those things. That's why we were laughing. We were not taking this letter. In jest, we no, just, it's a, it's we a were sharing really a knowing look. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, do you want to weigh in? Okay. Here is <laughs> <laughs> what I would say. I would say that I just changed what I want to say. I'm going to say this. Uh, gotcha. There are many. There. There are many great people who work in HR. Mm-hmm. They want to mm-hmm. do a good job. They want to do um, well by the people who work at the company. They're nice people. Uh, they're good people. Uh, I think it's hard to escape the fact that the HR department, despite what um, your managers may say or the way it's often presented to employees, it exists to uh, for the service of the company, mm-hmm. right? So... Even though that is a department where you would go if you had a complaint or if you had an issue at work, you would go to them. And even though 
in many cases, or even most cases, uh, they would do the right thing by you. Uh, their stated purpose is not to protect the employees, it's to protect the employer. Uh, so that is just that is just their job. Um, you can go and work at a game developer and try to do the best you could do. I mean, that's what we do, right? It's like we come work at this big company and I try to do uh, right by our readers and my coworkers and uh, anyone I interact with, even though I'm part of the company. I'm part of a company that has a complicated history and has done yeah. uh, not great things. But um, I try to do my best and I think I am helping more than I am hurting. And I think you can probably do the same thing uh, as an HR person in a game development studio or a production uh, game, 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 game producer. Uh, that being said, uh, I think uh, unions have HR as well. <laughs> uh, I, I believe, no, for real, like the, yeah. I, I believe that our guild, the Writers uh, Guild of America East, um, I mean, they're a small company and they have HR. You can go, you can go do HR for them if you if you want to be like, you know, a completely uh, union forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think something I think about a lot is um, so I like I had my own HR issue uh, at a different job some years back, and it ended up being escalated to like the head of HR for the company. And it was one of those really bizarre situations where we had sort of a big meeting where we hashed out a lot of issues and it went about as well for me as you could imagine a thing like this going like over the course of that meeting, basically um, everything I had been saying was proven correct. Mm -hmm. Like, like things I had tried to make clear um, were basically confirmed and the positions I'd taken were confirmed as the correct ones uh, for what my department was supposed to be doing. And then we all still got a firm talking to by the HR uh, head and being like, we don't want to hear about this again. And part of me was like, yeah, but this entire thing kind of showed that things are fucked up in the exact way I've been saying, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it feels like maybe there should be more action than that or that like at this point I should maybe feel a little safer than I do right now. Um, but nevertheless, uh, that was kind of the way that the meeting ended. I ended up having lunch with the HR head like a week later. And it was funny. The HR uh, person wasn't sort of, I suppose what you imagine is a stereotypical HR person. Uh, he was a worker. Um, had come from a lot of blue collar jobs and uh, he and I shared actually a lot of similar things in our background. He had uh, basically worked on uh, assembly lines in sort of um, like dangerous engineering workplaces. And he was sort of joking with me about like, dude, this is the shit I deal with here is nothing uh, like play the, the like. I worked at places where like dudes would get pissed off at each other and like throw a 20 pound wrench at each other. Like shit like that would happen. Uh, that's my context. And so the guy got, the guy understood the perspective that workers had. Like he was until he took this job, you know, one of us. Right. But then toward like when we started getting to my specific situation, what was going on, he tells me like, he gets really serious and he's like, look, the thing is, if these issues keep happening in your department and you guys can't resolve them among yourselves, I'm going to have to resolve them for you. 
and I guarantee you will not like how I resolve it. And like the temperature in that like restaurant dropped like 20 degrees <laughs> at that moment. And I'm like, cause like 10 minutes before we've been swapping stories about like, you know, <laughs> you know, pulling, pulling third shift, shit like that. And now it was like, Hey, if you don't shut the fuck up, like I'm going to wreck your shit. That was basically the message. Even though at this point we knew that it wasn't really me causing the problem. Yeah. And it sort of dawned on me at that moment that like, I was basically on my own on this one. Like this dude, even though he knew clear as day that like what was going on, he wasn't really going to have my back. And in fact, he almost sort of made it a point that if it came to HR again, everyone would lose. So it was time to shut up. And the thing I've always sort of wondered about that exchange is to what degree is that a person who was captured by the role where the institution and the, the way the role is laid out forces you to act a certain way. And no matter what your views going into it, you can't actually escape the boundaries of what the role constrains you into doing. And to what degree did he just kind of get into the job to be that guy, right? To what degree did, Hey, HR seems like, it's it's a managerial role. It's an office job. It's not on the line. And it doesn't seem that hard. So I'll go that route. To what degree, like, did, was it just a good gig? Um, and so I always sort of try, like, I always think about that with, with questions like this and whether or not if there's a version of that person who goes into that role and says, you know what, I'm actually not going to be um, – the cog in the machine. I'm not going, you know, I like, I'm going to throw a little sand in the gears here and not let bad managers or cowardly managers, um, sort of grind up employees and sort of force their compliance. I wonder if he would have had the freedom, if he'd been a little like braver, if he could have turned around and been like, actually as the head of HR, having heard what I've just heard, this seems extremely fucked up. And this manager needs to be put on, put on notice, uh, you know, be, like pull, pull, like have their direct reports taken away from them. I don't know. Uh, what, like, would they have had the freedom to turn around and say, like, actually, here's HR's policy on this particular incident. Uh, this is management's fault. And here are the things that I'm going to prescribe to protect these workers. I don't know. Um, because I think most people who I've encountered in HR didn't get into that job because they wanted to get in fights. Mm. And when you've got like really toxic workplace dynamics, um, you got to be willing to pick a fight. you got to be willing to have people pissed at you and hate you and go into work every day with that feeling that you're working with some people you got some serious beef with. You're not all friends. You're not all collegial coworkers. But you, you stick that out because you know you're doing the right thing. You know you saw something messed up and people being mistreated and you said, uh, that's not going to fly around me. Right now, that is all left to workers, uh, basically, to watch each other's back, um, to step up for each other, to show some solidarity. Uh, I don't know if an HR person can do that, but my God, I would love just once to have seen someone try. Yeah. So, like, I don't know, Jonathan, maybe you can be the test case, right? Like... If you go in there, like people are going to want you to back managers, managers who are wrong. Um, that's going to be part of the job. The question is kind of what are you willing to put on the line when somebody's trying to get you to go against your values in that way? 
uh, when you know that someone's wrong. Uh, most HR people have, at that moment, chosen to kind of quash the workers complaining and at least as far as the public face goes, support management. I've never seen it go a different way. I'm really curious what would happen if I did. Yeah. I uh, Two short things to support that. One of them being, I, I, I'm sitting here wondering if we should encourage more people like Jonathan to do this, to make things better. If there is yeah. any sort of test case for, okay, people who really give a shit about workers' rights, people who really give a shit about creating non-toxic workplaces and healthy workplaces to go into that line of work, will that actually see a difference? And obviously, I am not a sociologist, uh, <laughs> but but there is a part of me that wants to encourage people who, and and you know, I, again, I'm just saying this as a person who who works in an office who knows what HR things are like. I've had to go to HR multiple times in my career. I content warning, big one, big content warning here for uh, sexual assault that I have talked about before on this podcast, uh, but. That was a case, and again, this is before I was in this industry, where it, things went right. Like, I, I spoke up about a sexual assault, and that person was immediately taken away, and there was no retribution against me. Like, obviously, there are lingering effects of that, but, like, that the company actually did right by me in that case. Um, so that was a case of, oh, this this is the way it should have gone. When something bad happens, this is the way it should have gone. Um, and I've had other experiences, certainly. But if knowing if people who actually really care very deeply about this and are willing to fight, like you said, Rob, if, if maybe we should encourage more people to do that and to, to kind of be that better thing. Now, of course, like you said as well, uh, does that mean that person will be poisoned? You know, as you were talking about that previous person, like, did he go into this thinking, well, I don't care? Or did he go in? Maybe he went into this with good intentions. It's both are possible, certainly. And I would also say to Jonathan no matter what field you're going into, no matter HR, any any field whatsoever, how crucial and important it is to do anything you can to to realize whether or not you're walking into a toxic dynamic, uh, whether the company you're walking into, the department you're walking into, the team that you're walking into is is relatively functional. Now, no, nothing is ever perfect. The happiest teams on earth still have shitty bad days where people are pissed off at each other and, you know, have some issues. But are you walking into a, a, a team that is fundamentally respectful and will be something that you can work with? I, I think about jobs and relationships the same way, which is, does your baggage line up? It's not like the happy feelings and the good days that line up perfectly. It's does your bullshit and your baggage and your hangups and your, you know, your basically the things you can't deal with, like you're absolutely, I can't deal with this. Does that line up with that team? Uh, because the things that are like, oh, that annoys me a little, but I'll be okay. Uh, if those line up, you're going to be fine. But if your absolute breaking points, your baggage, your bullshit does not line up with that, then you're going to have a very bad time. Uh, so yeah, if there's any possible way of talking around or whatever it is that you do uh, in your industry to kind of figure out what the environment is like, read reviews, read everything you can, get every little piece of information you can about the, the people you'd be working with. I recommend that to everyone on earth, no matter what uh, sort of industry you're going into. Uh, again, that's also coming from a position of privilege because the types of jobs that people talk about the company might not be every type of job, right? Um, but for this type of office work, you may be able to read some glass door reviews. You may be able to talk to people. You may be able to kind of at least find somewhat about the vibe uh, before going in.
All right. Uh, last email here. Uh, Y'all have to think about this one. Uh, this comes from Riley. The other day, my coworker asked me the question, what are your bottom three fast food joints of all time? Just the absolute <laughs> worst, would not eat under any circumstances. Posed this question on Twitter, got a bit of a response, so my next goal was to take a note of answers and put it in a chart. That made me realize I now have a group-seated bracket of 48 contenders for the worst fast food. <laughs> uh, so here you have it, my, the bracket. My real question, what is the worst fat fo- fast food of all time? Arby's. Arby's. <laughs> Damn. What's that scene you had? Not even... <laughs> So no, bad, that was so ready. <laughs> Arby's, just trash, they're trash. Arby's is trash. Oh, wow. I love it. Strong feelings. You can dress You can dress up trash, but Rob, still trash. What? You looked at Arby's recently, still looks like trash. Is it? Is it really worse know, than Long John Silver's? Some of it looks kind of good, ever though. since they got the meats. Like ever yeah. since Wait. they had the meat, I'm like, that looks good. That's meat. We have the meat. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm good, Arby's. I'm good. What the fuck is a Brahms? Bra- Wait, where's this chart? Let me see. Uh, this it's chart. in podcast. Thank you. I had a uh, Taco Bell for the first time last week. Wh- what? Yeah. yeah. I've yeah, never had what it. did you think? So here's the thing. I got it. I would say somebody, a friend, my wife met with some friends and they were like, we ordered like, I don't know, way too much Taco Bell. So I'm bringing some home because I know you've never had some. So I want you to try it. So I would say I got it like 20 minutes, 30 minutes after it was like, after they got it. Hmm. And Already off to a bad start. Yeah. Oh that, that's, oh I mean, boy. I don't want to eat that. That's, I mean, it's bad. It's like. What was it? It was just a million tacos. Oh, every kind just of taco. Just a regular ass taco? There were hard shell tacos. Uh-huh. There was the Doritos taco and there were soft tacos. What, did you have the Doritos taco? I did have it. Was the bottom melted yep. because it had been 30? Yes. yes. That's the thing about those hard shell tacos at Taco Bell. You got to eat them quick <laughs> or else the bottom will melt right off. <laughs> I would say a bag of Doritos is better than anything that Taco Bell can serve you, is my position. I wholeheartedly disagree. (laughs) As a person who had Taco Bell for dinner literally last night while watching the (laughs) Nintendo Direct, there are good things you can get from there that are specific to Taco Bell. What is the order? Please tell me. Uh, Okay, I've said this out on Twitter before. It's a huge order because I only ever get Taco Bell like three times a year. Uh huh. Um, it's a cheesy gordita crunch with a fiery Doritos Loco taco in it. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a Crunchwrap Supreme and a Burrito Supreme. Uh-huh. Um, the, the thing about Taco Bell is that it's not good Mexican food. Mm-hmm. It's good Taco Bell. Mm-hmm. It has a very specific... No. Cheesy. Yeah. Wow. What a yeah. what, what a, tautological what a just... nonsense is this? <laughs> no, I agree. Exactly. I agree. Judged with... by the standard of this one, re- like no, no, so no. If judged by Demolition Man, and this was the only restaurant that existed. Was it good? No, no, well... no. I mean, I what I mean to say by that is that it is good. Removed from some sort of classification that it is, it isn't Mexican food. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like it's not fucking Mexican food, but it is food. And it tastes good. Certain parts of it taste good in a <laughs> shitty way, right? It's not like Mexican gourmet. Adjacent? I guess. I don't fucking know. No, it's Taco Bell. I don't think, 
it's not Mexican that, inspired. I, not even. <laughs> There's tortillas, I guess. But the reason that the cheesy gordita not. crunch is good is because they put Doritos and cheese next to some meat. <laughs> like um, meat. Yeah. <laughs> Three quarters soy product. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I have to say, there's really two very clear contenders here. And I don't even eat meat, so I know you might just throw me off anyway. But I have no idea how either Savaros or Panda Express cannot be in the top yeah. five. No, that's fair. Because those, those are types of, like, they claim that they're Chinese food and Italian food, respectively. Like, you know what you're fucking getting at, like, a burger joint. You're getting, like, cheap burgers, right? Like, you know the general gist of what you're getting. You're not getting anything that that is even on the same planet as Italian food with something like a Sbarro's. So, those that's my vote. One of those two. Long John Silver. Like, <laughs> that was I was gonna be on my short list. Seafood, like, fast food, seafood. Through the same right I through the same reasoning yeah. of like, okay, you know what you're getting in some place, but this is not seafood is already so hit or miss. <sighs> I so <laughs> yeah, like I don't think for me it doesn't. There's no type of I don't think these restaurants fail because they fail like to be good examples of their cuisine. Right. Like my my beef with Taco Bell is not like this is not true Tex-Mex cuisine. That's not. <laughs> it's just bad. It, it's just bad. I'm not comparing it. to oh, it's like so the good. good burrito joint. It's just. OK, I <laughs> hard disagree. Taco Bell, the deadly premonition of food. Truly. Uh, Truly. Sbarros, Whatever you got to convince yourself. Every Sparrows I've encountered is like, a, um, is like a buffet style Sbarrows. So I don't know if there's another model of it, but it's like I my, like what, I yeah. Yeah. what I immediately think when I think Sbarrows is you're cold and tired on 90 heading through upstate New York mm-hmm. uh, or Western New York and you get off the highway and there's Sbarro's, and there's the hot lamps and congealed like wax fat on Cheese pizza. Cheese puddle thing. And, yeah. And it's, so, also mall, it's also mall pizza. That was always my encounters with Sbarro was it was mall pizza. Like you're, there yeah. was a mall down the street from my yeah. high school. And so we would go there for lunch because it was something you could turn around in an hour. And you want a pizza? Okay. Have you ever had the pasta Sbarro's there? Sbarro's you the Have you ever eaten the pasta? No, at absolutely not. Even my high school, even my my dirtbag high school self knew better than to eat the masticholi from Sbarro's. One day when I was very hungover at my grad school job, back when I used to drink, not that I drink that much, but still, I was very very hungover working in the video lab at grad school, and I went over to the like crappy food court next to Emerson College, and I ordered the pasta. From <laughs> but that's what it's fair for. Like, look, that's look, well, you know, I'm not going to sit in here and <laughs> like defend Sabaro necessarily, but it exists like the food like that exists for moments like that where it's like, look, I just need you to get in there and suck some shit up. Do something. Like, I don't need you to be good. Do I just need you to to just get in there and like take care of business. I have um, uh, I threatened myself with this. <laughs> Um, is that uh, me and my friend uh, uh, Luke, we have a tradition of like, um, I like pulling up like food apps and just saying like, what's just the worst thing that you could order? <laughs> just like, I just want to see the options. And so we would order like, and it's, it's, I feel like pizza has like a pretty high floor. Mm-hmm. Like even the worst pizza 
is often at least like it's edible. Yeah. Like you didn't enjoy it, but like it works. It's like you can you can <laughs> you can muddle through it in a way that doesn't work for other types of food. Um and so we would just get deep enjoyment out of like ordering pizza from like the weirdest places that had no promise of being any good. This was clown pizza was the place we would do it from <laughs> in Chicago. The pizzas were enormous and not any good and often cold. Um, but you got to say, hey, everyone, I brought some clown pizza. And the one I've been threatening to myself was like, hey, next time Katie's out of town and my wife is out of town in two weeks. So maybe I can make good on this is uh, I noticed in like Seamless or whatever. One of the apps like, you know, who also delivers food, uh, fast food pizza? Chuck E. Cheese does. <laughs> we'll send you a Shit. pizza. And you know what? I want to find out what delivery Chuck E. Cheese is yeah. like. Yeah. Yeah. Get some of that rat <laughs> cheese. Good. Yeah, why the fuck you is Predator? Like, sit there, bring up the YouTube of like the animatronics playing music. <laughs> and, like, it's like you really you know, there. I took I took my daughter to Chuck E. Cheese like six months ago because it's right next to a um a place that we frequent and uh, it's actually like, it's like a very, like the value proposition on the, the cards to, like to play the arcade games to get tickets <laughs> is very good because you can get like a 30 minute hour card for like, you know, 15, 20 bucks. And most places like a game works or uh, Dave and Buster's, they don't let you just like go up and down the row and like scan, 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 scan. There's like a cool down on the card. Chuck E. Cheese. Gives no fucks. Like, like my wife is running across, scanning something, gives it back to me. I'm scanning something. I'm scanning the soccer ball thing for my daughter to kick. We're just like, we're gonna get her something, and we're just doing this in 30 minutes or less. And they don't have the animatronics anymore, but then like once every half an hour, I don't know what the characters' names were, but like, you know, the rat comes out and he That's he Chucky. Yeah. Is that Chucky? Yeah. So he comes out. He dances and he throws his name is on the building. Right on the side. I don't know who the fuck this guy is. This is my you. I thought maybe the the mythology has changed since then. I haven't looked up at the Wikipedia page. I don't know how, you know, the Gears 5 of Chuck E. Cheese's. Oh, my God. Uh, Little Caesars on this list. That's some bad pizza. Hey, hey, why the fuck is Predamonjaren on here? That's a little much. No, 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 no. So here's the thing. They Same with Jersey Mike's. Jersey Mike's is totally fine. Fast food five sandwich guys? shop. Like, yeah, five but guys is great. Five guys They're is trying great. to wipe out, out They're all low C's. Like, look at McDonald's in the second bracket. It's going to play the winner of In-N-Out and Dairy Queen. Clearly, none of these are supposed to advance because they don't rate mm-hmm. as, like, truly awful places. Yeah, I guess. Um, Just like, why, why even have you could've, you could've Starbucks? Cut, you could have cut some of this in half. Who eats at Starbucks? But also, I've never heard of a... Pizza, pizza. Schlotz? Isn't that just the Nate? That's the slogan of, of pizza, pizza. Caesar, yeah, right? place. What? Yeah, is that a thing? Yes, Schlossky's Deli. Yeah, it was a thing. When? <laughs> Serious sandwich. I want to say it was their. Uh, w- Wait, w- was their motto? Also, Portillo's. Portillo's is genuinely tremendous food. Let's get the, f- the closest fucking. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> just one last thing I want to shout out here. Um, yeah, sure. Jack in the Box. Do not sleep on Jack in the Box. Is truly garbage tier burger <laughs> joint. Um, it is like you might think. It looks inoffensive. You're like, how badly could someone fuck up a standard like American fast food burger place? Really badly. It turns out. <laughs> uh, so, Isn't like Jack in the Box, the like spot you can if, get tacos and shit. Or is that my? Am I thinking of something else? 
you can get anything in a Jack in the Box. You can get a gun in a Jack in the Box. <laughs> you supersize your order. They just like hand you. <laughs> and just like here, what you do from here. Picking uh, up the, the slack for the Hemlock smoothie uh, at the end of it. Um, yeah, Jack in the Box is uh, some truly wretched food. Stay away. Uh, ditto Jimmy John's. There are people in this world who love Jimmy John's, and I do not understand like. It's better than Subway and sandwiches when you're in college. If you have a choice between Subway and Jimmy John's, it's Jimmy John's every agreed, every day. Agreed. Yeah, but that's because Subway has gotten worse. Wait, wasn't there something about Jimmy John's recently? There's well, I mean, the owner sucks. Yeah, I've never had Jimmy John's. That's capitalism. That that is that's just capitalism. Well, you think like sorry, like it's it's a fast food joint. Like probably your money is supporting bad things. Like, you know, everyone it was like, damn, finally I can get a Popeye's chicken sandwich and not go to Chick-fil-A. And then it's like, wow, Popeye's destroyed its t- entire workforce in the two week period. <laughs> like, yeah, it's Ugh. fast food. Uh, it's it, there's it's a particularly no ethical consumption uh, type proposition. But nevertheless, <laughs> you should at least get a good guilty pleasure off of it. Jack in the box, Jimmy John's. Uh, I say fail that test. Mm. Really curious about Arby's though. It's been like a decade. What is? Uh, Stop. Um, we got it. Arby's. We gotta end okay. the Are you gonna ask what is Arby's? Yeah, like what? Like obviously McDonald's is a burger place, and like you know, there's pizza. What? What? What is their thing? Meat. Okay, so <laughs> yes, back <laughs> in the day, beef. Arby's showed up. Like it was. My parents loved Arby's because for their for some reason they loved like roast beef sandwiches, and I don't because I find that shit boring. Like it's just big sloppy wet slabs of meat between like a couple supermarket buns and the entire thing like disintegrates in your hands mm. and just like picking the sopping wet meat up with your hands like Wonderful. an animal. I don't want that. But people like my parents did, I guess. Anyway, that's what I associate with Arby's. And I was like, no, not for me. Thanks. But then Arby's reinvented itself by like being the epic uh Fast food place where it's like for people who are like bacon. Arby's was like, that's our fucking demo. <laughs> and we have the meat was born. I see. And so now they create these Rococo um, layer cakes of meat <laughs> and sell them to people for legal tender. Um, also, they and have nerds. They like nerds. They like nerdy things. Yeah. Their Twitter's all about right for a while. Their social media things. was very. It still is, yeah. I think. They're still mm. doing all that paper. It's just less like, viral now. Yeah. Are they connected to Carl's Jr. or am I thinking something else? No, that's Hardee's. Hardee's. Hardee's right, and sorry. Carl's Jr. I saw there was a there's a Carl's Jr. in fucking Coney Island, which I did not know there were any Carl's Jr. in New York. Huh. Yeah. We had a Carl's <laughs> Jr. star at the Waypoint. Yeah. Lunch. Yeah. That's, so they. It's <laughs> my only connection to any of this. All right. Well, we made a gang rate about two hours, so it's an official Waypoint Radio. Uh, definitely the correct... Don't shake your head at me, Patrick. This is the correct way to spend a Thursday. Absolutely. What? You've got, you've got stories to publish? We have editorial output we need to worry about? I think not, my friend. We have lunch to eat. It's the world too. Perhaps at one of many of these fine establishments. Honestly, yeah, it, it, this was instructive uh, for all of us. I think going into the lunch hour, I've gotten all hands to pretend to attend. Yep. Oh shit! Is um, that four p.m.? <laughs> four p.m. Yeah. God damn it. 
All can right. I do that tailgating at Soldier Field? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you can. Where are you going to be? Don't worry Excuse about it. No, I'm gonna nothing. I'm gonna tailgate the all hands. That's because <laughs> I'm all bought. I'm all in on vice, baby. <laughs> Just like, woo! It's like it's like three o'clock. I'm like, damn, the all hands is an hour. <laughs> Gotta get hey, ready. Pass me those brats. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that will do it for this episode of Waypoint Radio. There is some text I'm supposed to read at the end of this show. Uh, you can send questions to gamingadvice.com with subject questions. So if you like those questions, that's how you send them. Yeah. So, I could, so I could read them. Yeah. On Twitter, you can follow us at Waypoint. On Facebook and YouTube, we are Waypoint Vice. Uh, you can follow me at Rob Zachney on Twitter. Patrick, where can people find you? At Patrick Klubick. Danielle. At Danielle R.I. Manuel. At Emmanuel Myberg, I believe. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Perfect. You know what? You know, I'm glad that we have... You know, Kato's usually the one who forgets his Twitter account, but I'm glad that just, you know, someone it. else bringing up the rear. I start, I flub it because it's long. It's got weird You have things. such shaky confidence and you're just like, uh, Kato. Kato, um, let's see if you can get it right this week. Kato. At A underscore Kato underscore appears. I was ready this time. Nailed it. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, our music is the track Miss You off the EP Pale Machine by Bowen. You can learn more at waypoint.zone slash... B-O-E-N. Uh, and you can also join discussions with our community at discourse.zone. Uh, and that finally wraps this episode, and we will see you again next week. Go Bears. Be, be, be a good bear and be good at it. Yeah, Mitch, you better be fucking good. Be a good bear. <laughs> When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. He's not going to be good. <laughs> Stop it, Rob. Stop it. He hasn't Rob. played. He didn't practice. Rob, Rob he can throw left. <laughs> we can okay. always go. That's true. That's, That's just a conspiracy theory. All right. Good show, everybody. That was yeah, very thanks, fun. Thanks, Manuel. Thanks for thanks oh, for hanging out. I know please. that's a big chunk of your day, so I appreciate it. Thanks for giving us the gears. <laughs> oh, this is uh, this is this is from Kato. Oh, I guess I was just gesturing with this, but I meant your gears conversation. <laughs> oh, Thank you for oh, your okay. gear thoughts. <laughs> gear of course, thoughts, of course. All right, Bye, thanks, y'all. guys. Bye. Bye. Sorry, let me just get this up. Whoa. Sorry, I didn't have it up. It's okay. Not your fault. Did Kato have it up? Uh, Time dot is. We got to clap. Oh. All right, let's Uh, do uh, 50. Okay. It's a long time.
That's so bad. It's okay. Kato, for- <laughs> Kato forgot how to clap anyway. Oh. I can't clap. I love when Kato started arguing with the ad copy I was reading. Yeah. He's just like, wait, what? what? Arrow! <laughs> Arrow! Where's the I, Mountain Dew? I literally hadn't realized that you had started the ad read. <laughs> like, yeah, like, I, like, like, I, keep I thought you were just giving like, Patrick your, your ad is too long. Your ad is too long. And then he's like, hey, can we like go down a Wikipedia hole for five minutes? <laughs> Look, you never know when things are going to start because the way I run things, we keep it loose. We keep it active. We <laughs> yeah. keep it a little improvisational. Hey, Internet, how's it going? It's Friday, September 5th, 2019. You're listening to Waypoint Radio, episode 261. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, filling in for that. Austin Walker. Uh, who is Kata, what do you vacation. pay for? Figure it out. Joining me this Friday is, you just heard him interrupting me.